What's going on, everybody? You are back on the sidelines with the sideline guys. I am Chris, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by my guy, Sean Negron. Uh, please let the people know where they can find your work and the kind of stuff that you're uh, working on at the moment, because there's so many hats you have, for sure. Yes, I have a bunch of hats. Um, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. It is no, for people that are thinking about it right now, we are not related. But we do share the same last name. But uh, now you can find me. Uh, I I I do a baseball podcast uh, called That's Baseball. You, I have a football podcast at National Fan Loop, and I host and created my own website that gives anybody anybody who listens to this can reach out to me at Sean Negron twenty six. And you can uh, if you ever want to write about your favorite team, your favorite sport, anything you want, just reach out to me. And you can get a, a thing. It's at bsreports.org. And, uh, you know, come in and have some fun. That's that's what I'm all about, just giving everyone an opportunity. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I still have yet to make my debut. Uh, but when I do, uh, trust you guys will all be hearing about it for sure. Um, as he mentioned, I hate that you tipped your hand like that. I mean, we could have just played it, played it on throughout the whole show. We could have, I, I don't know, maybe this the new sibling cast. I don't know. But, hey. He he's telling the truth. We are not related, but we are related in many things. And one big one is the the shared love of mixed martial arts. Um, I know. First of all, I just want to ask you this: How did your fandom start? Obviously, I know the answer to this question, uh, but just curious on on how you became so deep into MMA and following the shows almost on a weekly basis. Now, honestly, it was uh, it was something that made my my stomach turn because. Uh, I had never seen mixed martial arts in like a sport type platform. I had seen the YouTube videos of Jorge Masvidal, which I know we'll get into, uh, you know, street fighting and all that. And, and I, I always loved it, but I never like was deep into like, oh, well, let me watch, you know, let me get into this. But it was when Bigfoot Silva knocked out Alistair Overeem. I think it was uh, UFC 158. I think I, maybe I'm wrong there, but. It was uh, when, when Bigfoot Silva shocked the world and knocked out juiced up Alistair Overeem, when Overeem was the unbeatable, you know, and uh, after he had just knocked out Brock Lesnar and, and the, all that, Overeem was like immediately my favorite fighter. But I wasn't like watching on a week-to-week. -week. I would just watch when he came on. And then when that happened, oh, my whole like world like flipped upside down. I was so heartbroken sitting there at Applebee's with family members who hate fighting and I'm sitting there and I'm watching it and I just, Oh, but after that, I was like, you know what? I guess that's, that's what love, you know, love for this sport is all about. You get your heart broken, but then you wait for the comeback. And uh, so that from there on out, I just started slowly picking it up and, you know, not watching every week, but watching every other and, and the main cards and then the, you know, the pay-per-views, and now um, I'm out of my mind. So I watch every single event, every fight night, every Dana White Contender Series, the, you know, pay-per-views. Uh, that, that's now I'm, I'm fully into it, and I, I have Overeem to thank for that. Or Bigfoot Silva, I'm not sure. <laughs> nice, bro. I agree, man. It's so, it's, it really is the most rewarding part about being a fan. And, and when, when someone that you're rooting for heavy does take an L like that sort of shifts your perspective, that that's the biggest part for me, why I really fell in love with watching the sport on a consistent basis, not just UFC, but anything I could get my hands on really is cause like, 
you get an idea of what these weight classes are and like where everyone stands. But every time there's a fight card, those those rankings kind of shift, right? Like all, all these different outcomes change the way you look at the division, change the way you look at these matchups. And there's always something fresh happening, right? Like even on 287, uh, Rob Font getting a big upset against Adrian Yanez. Everyone was just dismissing him during the week, myself included. Uh, just assuming that uh, the matchmaking was set up a certain way for a certain result, and boom, uh, we just get another uh, grizzled vet reasserting himself in that pecking order. So it's just so crazy, man. That that's that's what really keeps me hooked. There's no other like I'm a big sports fan in general. Like the, the three big ones, baseball, uh, basketball, uh, football. Those are my jam since I was young, and really what got me into sports. But Combat sports, man, there's something different about it. It really, it really speaks to a, a, a different, I don't know, a different, more visceral emotion when watching, but also um, the, just how volatile it is. There's no um, one-punch home run swing you could get that finishes a game, right? So uh, it's just so crazy and, and why I feel like it's the pinnacle of, like, the sports watching experience. Um, as someone that, that watches a lot of different sports, too, how do, how do you feel about that? Because I, I, I don't know how else to articulate it than uh, combat sports really have a different feel. Well, yeah, that's the thing about combat sports is that it's, you know, when it comes to the major sports, you when you get to the end, you know it. You know, okay, all right, here we go, fourth quarter, all right, you know, uh, ninth inning, whatever. Combat sports, and the second that first round starts, or the second, you know, Bruce Buffer says it's time, you know, then you're on your heels the whole time. It doesn't matter if it's the first fight in the early prelims or it's the final, you know, the main event. From that moment on, you're you're so hooked in. And it's like, I, it's funny because I look at myself now and I think back to my younger self and I think, how was I able to just walk away? Like, I don't care about the early prelim in this one because it's just the 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 sport of fighting to me is just so intense and so fun that you know i don't like it's it really is like uh you know people's favorite show where they just have to watch the next episode and they have to binge it you know so when it comes to saturday nights like it's you know i'm married so it's not it's it's probably brutal for my wife who wants to go out on saturday nights but you know like i'm i'm so glued to the tv when it comes to you know fight nights and these pay-per-view events that yeah it's it's a whole different animal and um you know it's it's one of that's it's becoming quickly one of my favorite major sports in, you know, in, in the world. Nice. Nice, man. I love it. We could talk all day, but we're, we already got a huge docket of things to get to. So can't hold you up too much longer on that. UFC 287. There was a huge fight card that went down in Miami yesterday. Uh, so really excited to preview, to talk about all those fights and sort of the aftermath of where we go now. Uh, with all these different storylines. And then, of course, looking forward to next week's uh, Fight Night event as well. There's some really good bangers on that card, too. Uh, so jam-packed episode of the TSG MMA show coming to you guys. Looking forward to getting right into it. So it's only right that we start towards the, the bottom and work our way up right to the most important fights of the night. So our first fight of the early prelims yesterday was Sam Hughes going up against Jacqueline Amorim. Um, once again, if you're going to be an MMA fan, you got to get used to pronouncing some difficult names. But uh, as far as the way this fight went and this matchup went, um, obviously, this was another one of those moments where you, you sort of look at the matchup and you're like, eh, you, you see the UFC has a vested interest in sort of pushing these younger fighters. And Sam Hughes has been around for a little bit, but has been in this sort of gatekeeper spot before. Right. Uh, but 
the the way the fight played out was absolutely insane, man. This was this was a great way to start off the card, in my opinion. Um, Jacqueline came out like a a woman on fire. Uh, found herself in a position to to finish Sam Hughes uh, multiple times. I counted like three times at least where it was deep enough where most of the time, if you see a submission that deep, uh, it, it gets finished. So the fact that Sam Hughes was able to fight out of those rear naked choke attempts over and over again from, I mean, there was uh, both of the first two attempts, you could see Jacqueline's not only had it fully locked in, but she also had the hand behind the head and somehow Sam Hughes was still able to work her way out of that crazy resilience. And then after that first round, it just looked like Jacqueline was entirely spent, had nothing for Sam Hughes on the feet and just kept getting pressured back. Um, obviously, there was a few more submission attempts during the second and third as well. Uh, but from that point, Sam Hughes just kind of controlled. Just an awesome fight, man. I, I, I was a huge fan of um, what Sam Hughes was able to do to weaponize your cardio like that. I, I, I've been in the training room a couple of times. I know how it feels. And if someone's just outworking you, um, it's a lot more demoralizing than being out muscled, right. Than being out physical, because at that point, it's just like, you feel like even if you were better at some time, there was nothing you could have done. Cause at the end of the day, they're just going to keep running around you. Yeah. I think with, uh, with this one, you know, you have, when you have seven minutes of control time in a 15 minute fight, that definitely will help with the cards. And, you know, I this fight, like you said, you know, it was built to kind of show the younger fighters against these uh, gatekeepers, sure, but these veterans. It, it's it's a better way. And this was kind of like your, your teaser to what you saw to start the main card and what you saw by the third fight of the main card, too. You had a bunch of uh, veterans fighting these younger guys who the card was kind of – or that fight was built around. And then it, it kind of flipped, and it didn't go the way you, you expected it to. So uh, I got to give it to Hughes. I really do because, you know, seven minutes of control and, and to to whiplash that first round and then turn it around and, you know, obviously winning by unanimous decision, that's great. You know, you only got 12 significant strikes against you the whole fight. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's a win. That's a win in my book. For sure. And, and I think – this isn't the end for Jacqueline. I think she has a lot to improve on and a lot to learn from. Definitely. Um, especially when you get put in a, in a, in a situation where you see in some way that even though you lost the full fight, right, you were superior than your opponent in, in, in a, in a, in a way where you were able to get to a point where you had them dead to rights multiple times. Um, so there's, there's obviously stuff to, to build off of being a, a jujitsu world champion as well. Um, but just a tough break. Right. But, I think a lot of fighters really discount what it means to get these sort of L's out the way, so to speak. Uh, A lot of the times people are only interested, people that aren't really like huge fight fans, they're only really interested in someone being undefeated. Uh, But a lot of the times a loss like this could really change your trajectory in the sport from not only being a great prospect to just being a great um, sort of person who solidifies themselves as a contender Versus just being a prospect that's coming up and just blowing people out of the water. It takes a lot to, to really get your feet settled, especially in the UFC. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing what she has to offer when she comes back for her sophomore stint, uh, for sure. But shout out to Sam Hughes. She definitely deserves a, a new contract because I, I know she's been grinding it out, literally um, fight, fighting anyone um, and, and finding a way to do it. I just love her her physicality. 
as well as her her mindset. Uh, but got to be careful. I saw after the fight, she was mentioning that her boyfriend uh, bet some money on her, and and she was like. I, I'm I'm gonna um I'm gonna do what I can to to basically get some of that. Like he owes me some of that because it was me that went out there and did it. And then I'm just like, oh shit, why why is why are all the outlets posting this clip? Like she's about to get in trouble for this because obviously recently the UFC instituted that policy that prevents uh, athletes as well as their associates from betting on on MMA. Uh, so quite literally, might might shoot herself in the foot and out of the promotion with that. I hope not. Uh, but interested to see what she has coming next if she doesn't get in too much trouble for that. Yeah, I didn't even know that she had done that or, or that that came out. So, yeah, that's that's tough. Hopefully, hopefully that is like a stern warning with that. But, you know, you it depends on what the UFC wants to do. If they want to make an example out of it or if they're like, hey, you know, depending on how legit it really is of what she said. But that's a big, big no, no. But, you know, it, hopefully, hopefully. It, uh, it it doesn't turn out to be that way. But like you said, uh, you know what I, I, I was going to say too before is that I never like an undefeated fighter because when you have no experience losing, it is so hard. Like when you finally do lose and if you lose at, you know, the highest of levels, it, it could really mess with you. And I always felt that way. And of course, it's, you know, armchair quarterbacking here. But it was like how I felt with what happened with Ronda. And when Ronda finally lost, like you saw how much that, mentally affected her and so when you're a prospect like like um when you're when you're a prospect i think it's just better to lose as a prospect now so that you could just build off this loss because you learn more from your losses than your wins i think so i think you know losing the way right now like we could just talk about raul rosas jr in a little bit but it's another one where you know you lose now as a prospect young but you grow from it and you know, and you, you know, you become a better fighter for it. Great. Greatly said. And we'll move on. Cause we do got to get there next up a featherweight contest between Shai Lan, Nyardam Beke. Look at that. I don't know how I get these names out versus Steve Garcia. Um, this, this fight was fucking awesome, bro. <laughs> this fight was insane. Um, Shai Lan is a tank. Every time he comes to fight, uh, you know, someone's getting hurt. And most of the time it's not him. Uh, but towards the end of the second round, Steve Garcia, I mean, the end of the first, Steve Garcia started to turn around, landing some hard shots and hurt Shailan, and then picked it right off where he where he left off in the first, finishing Shailan in the second with a beautiful combination where he landed a nice um, Kakuno kick, I like to call it, right? Uh, shout out Katsunori Kakuno, rest in peace. Uh, but with the, with those toes directly pointed out into the sternum, there's a big difference when you're getting uh, front teeped or, or front kicked and you feel the ball of the foot versus feeling the toes and the ball of the foot. Um, I, I think the difference too is like, as the kicker, right? As the person throwing it, it fucking hurts to leave your toes out there like that and jam your toes. So a lot of people like to keep them straight up, but when you can weaponize those like that, it's just extra like... Uh, it's just like extra nails at the end of the baseball bat, right? Like that, that's how it is. So to see him dig that shot to the body and then in that same spot, land an uppercut, like right picture perfect in the exact same spot where he landed the kick just prior and it just crumbled Shailon. Yeah. And you know what? I was, I was pretty shocked because Shailon, you know, with the, with the ground control that he had uh, throughout that first round, I, I did expect a, a much 
closer. And I think that's the best part about something like a body shot like that because it's, you know, eventually when you get hit by that, you, you're shut down like almost immediately and you don't see it that much in, in MMA. You know, it's starting to pick up a little bit, but, you know, body shots that, especially liver kicks like that, oh, I've been hit once with something like that and I promise you, I will never ask for it again. Or I will never hope to get hit by that ever again. That is so, like, it's shuts your whole body down. You don't want to move. But, like, a good, like, seven to eight minutes, you're just like, don't touch me. <laughs> Legit. Don't touch me. <laughs> Shout out to Dan Tom. I think I really gained an appreciation for the body work before I even started training, just by hearing him talk about the sport and his sort of perspective. And Dan Tom is someone that just are always reminding people, regardless of whether or not the judges score body shots highly, those are probably the most damaging thing. And if you ask the fighters, <laughs> someone gets hit hard with a body shot, you see them. They don't care about getting hit in the head anymore. They will just cover their body. Uh, they don't care because that's how much it hurts. Like they would rather get hit in the head than take that punishment again to the body. Uh, so yeah, man, it's an underrated aspect of, of MMA for sure. But I think it's creeping its way in. I think there's a couple fights later on too uh, where we could talk about the importance of body work. Uh, so hopefully the judges catch up and, and are really giving credit for the, the strikes that actually do damage uh, versus the strikes that look pretty, right? Um, there's a lot of different judging discussions to talk about in this card too, but thankfully with this one, uh, Steve Garcia was able to get the job done and we don't have to consider these things. Uh, but one thing before we move on that I just hate that I have to to mention here, how do you feel about people knocking someone out cold and then just thanking the Lord Jesus Christ? How, how does that, how, how does that make you feel? Uh, for someone, uh, it's tough because, you know, I, I could get roasted for this, but I, I, I hate it. I hate it so much because one, it's not who I am, but it's uh, oh, it it gets under my skin. But it, it sometimes it's just you know it's cringy for me more than I hate it. It but yeah, I I don't know. It, to fight and knock someone out cold and then thank the Lord that you just did that. Uh, that I don't know about that, but it's you know whatever. It it's it's an incredible experience when you're going through that camp and you're so tired and you're you get to that you know fight week so you know to pull pull through all those weeks of training and sparring and all that to have it finally work and to, to success for a victory the way it does and yeah i can see why you think you know the you know you're higher above and you're god and so i get it but it, when you think about it in that moment like as a fan you're watching you're like you're thinking the war could you knock someone out cold how does how does that work? But are yeah. you sure that's what he wanted? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. There's a lot of times too when whenever I watch this as someone who who can relate to it, right? I understand where where it's coming from, but I think largely you can't knock any of these fighters for taking that kind of inspiration because they have to have such insane self belief and and sort of no no room for doubt in order to just put themselves in a position to compete, right? Not even to win, just to just to put themselves in a position to be in there and be in it to try to win. You, you got to have an, an unrelenting self-belief that something's looking out for you out there. Right. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, I just always found it so weird because you could go two ways with it. Right. Like, so 
let's say your opponent also believes in the same belief set as you. Like, did you pray more? Like, what, like, what, what was the difference that edged you out versus him? Like, it's just such a strange thing. I mean, I get the health and safety part of it and being thankful. Like, I'm not trying to knock that at all. It's just always so funny whenever, like, it, at this point, it's like a trope in MMA where, where people are just like, oh, I just want to thank the Lord, uh, Lord Jesus Christ. And it's like, oh, man, I, I don't know that this is what he wants you doing out there, to be honest. I really don't. Yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting one because, you know, especially, there's, many many fights that have happened over the years that you know you could say that these guys believe in the same person the same god whatever and uh yeah it's you know it's like oh so did you you prayed more than me is that how i lost is that what happened it's like no but i I do believe that you know you're put on this earth to you know live your best life and nothing else happens like yeah you could pray and whatever but you know what you do how much harder you stay in the gym and you know stay extra and work harder that's what gets you victories. But thanking your, you know, whoever to go through that brutal camp to have a victorious win and, or even a, a, a hard loss that you can rebound from, I can understand where you come in and you, you know, you thank who you need to thank for it. For sure. And a big win for Steve Garcia. I'm looking forward to seeing him back in the UFC too. A rare prospect from Jackson Wink, right? I feel like that was a time period there where it felt like, Jackson Wink was no longer the cream of the crop as far as the MMA gyms and the powerhouses that exist now. Uh, but good to see a good prospect coming out of there who's not only disciplined, but also able to go through the fire, right? Took a lot of punishment in this one uh, to find himself on the other side of it. So shout out to Steve Garcia. That was a huge win. Uh, next up, at a catch weight of 160 pounds, we had Ignacio Bahamondes, La Jaula, coming up against Trey Ogden. Um this fight kind of felt like it never got out of second gear, right? And I, I think that has a lot to do with um, Ignacio Bahamundes' uh, use of range and his ability to command that range. Uh, how did you feel about this fight and the, and the back and forth nature of it? Well, I think it it really never got to that second gear, like you said, was because it was also uh, you know a, a quick fight for Trey Ogden to you know step in and take it, and obviously a catch weight, so. You know, not a lot of film, not a lot to know about this particular opponent for both sides. And, you know, you have to go in there kind of, you know, two feet in, one foot back. And as much as you want to knock this guy out and whatever, you know, like everybody says, you also don't know what that person's capable of because you've watched, you know, maybe an hour of footage to to get to know this person. So it's, I think that's why it was a slower fight. And I think that's why, you know, I was surprised that it actually did end up going unanimous decision, but it was, uh, I think that was the main reason, but it was still, you know, to, to take on people say, you know, for fighters to come in, it's almost, it's, it's better for them to, you know, come in and take a short notice fight, but it's also just as hard for the guy to fight a new guy just as new because, you know, you don't know what happens. You fight this new guy, who the hell is this guy? And then he knocks you out. It looks so much worse on you. You have everything to lose for it, while that guy has everything to win. So Ignacio had a, a good enough game plan to get the victory, and I, I credit him for it. I agree, man. There's so many ways that equation could go wrong. Uh, RoboCop comes to mind. Shout out to the RoboCop and his last loss. Uh, that was crazy, right? And, and you never see those coming, but it's always kind of a trap fight, like you said. Like, it's almost like, why even do it? Like, I get you want to get paid. I get it. Uh, but... You, you prepare for a reason, right? There's a reason why you get these fights a certain amount of months out ahead so that you can properly do the right things for the opponent you're facing. Uh, but man, it, honestly, it looked like 
Ignacio Bahamones didn't skip a beat in that way. Like, I felt like he had the read on Trey Ogden the whole fight. I think Trey Ogden might have been a, a second-guessing himself because of the cardio issue. Like, I think a lot of the times he did land some nice left hands, but he never really followed up on any of the single shots that he did land, um, where I felt like if he would have extended combinations a little bit more, put himself out there a little bit, of course, uh, but found himself in that fire a little bit, he would have been able to have more success because it wasn't entirely one-sided. Uh, but I just think Bahamandas is so good at just controlling that outside range and doing so many things like almost spamming, right? Like you play, I know you play the UFC game as well. Uh, there's a real, like, I think this is a theme across MMA in general, but in a lot of ways at this point of the game, and I think eventually this will change, but I think offense takes precedent over defense at this point of the game in MMA, just because there's so many different avenues and ways you can lose a fight that if you're spamming these things out there and you're continuously putting on um, a wave of sort of volume for your opponent to, to react against, it really puts them in a position where you're handicapped and you're, you're on the back foot the entire time. And then it forces you as the fighter to now have to go out of yourself and out of your comfort zone to try to pursue uh, your side of the fight. And then you're just playing from behind the whole time. So it's a real skill and it takes a lot of hard work and cardio to keep up that style. Uh, but I think Bahamadis could go far with it, man. I think is, I think his style is pretty matchup dependent. We haven't seen him against real heavy wrestlers yet to this point. Uh, so I, I'm looking forward to that. I think that's that'll be the next part of his development in the UFC. Uh, but man, lightweight is such a shark tank, man. When you got guys like that coming up that are unranked, uh, nobody's going to want to fight him, especially after this one. Yeah, and you know what? He did stuff that takedown, so I, I, I do give him that. But yeah, it was mostly a stand-up fight. My favorite thing about what Ignacio did was the fact that he was, you know, he attacked everything. He, he he had a bunch of leg kicks. He had a bunch of body shots and, you know, obviously topping it off with uh, strikes to the head. But, you know, he was playing all over. And, uh, you know, you don't really like, yeah, like when you think of UFC 4, like you were saying to me, like, you know, you're just thinking, you know, go for the head, go for the head, go for the head. But, you know, someone like Ignacio to, you know, like I was just looking this up too, because I didn't want to, I didn't want to get this wrong, but, you know, 99 for 200 on significant strikes, that's right there, almost 50%. But you also have, you know, 88 head strikes uh, attempts and a 65 body attempts, but 41 of 47 for your legs, man. That's like, you don't even know where to cover up. You're just getting hit all over. So that, you know, to have him fight your fight, which is exactly what happened in this one. You know, that's what it's all about. Like you said, if if you're playing from behind, it's it's really hard to catch up, especially in a three round fight. It's almost like impossible. So Ignacio really had a great great fight, and while it, it wasn't like you said, it didn't break second gear, it was exactly what Ignacio could have wanted in a camp, and and it worked out perfect for him. Hell yeah, I love to see Bala Muhammad in his corner too. That's a guy that you can't you can't deny the kind of gains you're getting training with a guy like that. I would only imagine. Um, his, his ground game is going to look good whenever we do have to see it, right? Um, but, yeah, exci excited for that guy's future. I think he is a big-time prospect at 155. Um, next up, first fight on the preliminary card, we had Lupita Godinez, Lupi, coming up against Cynthia Calvillo, um, who's back at strawweight, by the way. Shout-out to Cynthia Calvillo. Uh, just the sort of the general dynamic of this fight, I'm biased. I had some money on Loopy, right? I, I'll, I'll admit that. Uh, but as far as looking at how they matched up, I thought this was a pretty 
well well matched fight, right? But I, I thought this was gonna be a sort of a prospect moment for Lupi. And it ended up not playing out that way. I think this fight was super close. You could argue that Cynthia won as well. I personally, and shout out to Casey O'Neill, right? This is a women's flyweight who tweeted this during the broadcast. And I was like, man, that's brilliant. It's very true. A lot of the times, obviously, we're looking for damage. So when we see a fighter like Lupita who's bleeding from her nose, the main thing the judges are going to take away from that is, oh, you know, Cynthia did more damage in that round. But if you're really looking at the exchanges, right, like how you're supposed to, you're supposed to judge these things. Each five minutes are, is its own fight, right? So if you're looking, looking at the damage and you're looking at what lands, I think Lupita did have the argument for landing the better strikes, landing the, the bigger strikes, the more impactful strikes. Uh, but Cynthia Calvillo was in there the entire time, matching her with volume and really landing really nice jabs and, and straight right hands as she was um, wading into Cynthia. Uh, so I, I really like what I saw from Calvillo in this one. I think she really made a big jump in her training and, and didn't look at all like a huge underdog that she was and almost pulled it off. So I, I think this was a, another prospect moment for Lupi Godinez. And fortunately she was able to get the nod. How did you feel about the decision? See, that was the thing too. And I was actually, I have a question for you too after, after this, but you know, one, I'm Mexican. So seeing Lupi come out on top, big win for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the time for, Mexican fighters to rise because we are having a great 2023 and it just continues along and seeing stuff like this this is always great to see but when it comes to decision man that's exactly what I was about to say was you know it was it was so close that I actually thought that it was going to be Cynthia that got her hand raised but you know when you see this this you know the 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 decision and at 28 29 29 28 and in 30 27 you know, one judge has it two rounds for Cynthia, while there's another judge who has zero rounds for Cynthia. So that's just, it just shows how close it really was. The, you know, the, the statistics are almost identical. So it was definitely, you know, you could have had a coin toss for it. I did want uh, Loopy to win it, but I did think, you know, like thinking negative first, unfortunately, I thought uh, Cynthia had done enough. But we had talked throughout, and this is what I wanted to ask you, which you know, Cynthia has been around for a minute. You know, what happens with her now with, with the loss like this? What do you what do you see happening with, with Cynthia? And what do you think she goes moving forward? She did have a better fight. I will t- I will give her that. But, well, you know, what happens now? You know, being nine, six and one. What do you think? For sure. The long lost Diaz sister. She's also Mexican, too. Uh, so this was this is a little home home brewing right there. Yeah, uh, but, but she repped she repped America there. So, you know, that's why I went with the with, when you rep Mexico. You got my heart all day. I I respect that. And, and I, I feel the same way about my Puerto Rican fighters, too. They're few far in between. Uh, but once, they, once they're there, you got you to gotta support them fully. Uh, but, yeah, man, I think Cynthia Calvillo, I've always been a fan of her upside. I think what makes her style so hard to root for as a fan is you feel a lot of the times she kind of she sets herself short. Because unfortunately, I think she where she has the best path to victory in any fight is on the ground. And unfortunately, in my opinion, her wrestling isn't up there as far as her ground game is to get her in positions to really weaponize that ground game. Um, so a lot of the times whenever watching her fights, I just come a little I, I become a little frustrated. It's almost like the she is the Diaz sister of MMA uh, because she's going to throw one twos and piece you up on the feet and kind of hope 
that you find yourself in a position where you shoot for a takedown and she could take advantage of that. You saw a lot of exchanges even in this one with that with the front headlock position and putting Loopy in some bad spots after she felt compromised enough to try to go for those shots. So I'm a fan of her game. I see, like, I, I understand what she's going for. Like, a lot of the times when I have an issue with the fighters, when I just, I don't get it. Like, it doesn't make sense. If the coaches are urging them to do the opposite and, and they can't find themselves out of it too. So I'm not mad at her game. I think she's growing as a fighter as well. Um, it's just such a hard place, the UFC, to have a career like that, to figure out your style and figure out where you're going. When you come on the scene as this hot prospect, you know, her first two events were on pay-per-view main cards and she got two wins back to back. So that hype, you're sort of expected to do great things every time out from now on. So kind of find yourself in a tough spot to be in. And just once again, that hype machine, man, it does a lot. It really does a lot. It puts a lot of people out there at the forefront of the sport and gets that name out there. But now it comes time to back it up a few fights after, and you end up finding yourself with a lot of these prospects where you're in a spot where you're good, you're good enough that people know who you are and they know why you're good, but you're not good enough to stay there against the next crop of people that are coming up. So um, I'm interested to see if she's able to stick around. I don't think they let her go after this one though, because she looked really good. Yeah, I, I think I think she sticks around too. But yes, she's definitely like just the way she started the fight. Like it just made me think of the Diaz brothers. Like like she she was not not talking, but she was into it she was ready to go and uh i like that i like that energy i like that like i'm coming for you sort of attitude and uh you know i was saying you know eh, maybe i was a little negative about it but i always felt she was kind of like a gatekeeper for the undercards like she you always see her on the undercards and like you'll see her pull out some but you'll see her uh you know end up losing or whatever and i, I do want to see cynthia because she's exciting and, and and i like seeing cynthia in, in these cards and every time i see her, i'm like all right cool 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 like I look forward to that because you know it's it's going to be a great fight regardless. So we maybe we could have been we could have been having a completely different conversation if Cynthia had pulled it off and won by split decision because judges were so off that you could have gone either way. So mm -hmm. it, regardless, it doesn't hurt Calvillo all that much, and I think she'll be just fine in her next one. Greatly said, and we can move on. But I have one quick thing to say about the the criteria that I think really honestly I think this is a big barrier to entry for a lot of. MMA fans in general. I think I think we need to figure out a way to make a, a scoring criteria where you can't have three different judges have these cards that are honestly justifiable. Like you could look back at these scores and you could score the same round 10-9 one way and 10-9 the other way and have a justifiable argument. And honestly, like that that's a problem like that if that if that i mean it's led to so many different decisions now at this point where we're like man what were the judges thinking but also at the same time you can defend these scores like it's not like they were egregious um i think 30 27 is a little bad in my opinion uh but even then i think the rounds were close enough where you could justify a score like that so i don't know man i think every every judge at this point has their own preference and there's no way to really like wipe that slate clean so to speak regardless of what the actual criteria says and that leads to a lot of judges of fights being judged just like this one yeah it, it, it's because it's gotten a bad rap over the last couple months so you know when you see scores so you know flip-flop like that and like i said you know one judge giving every every round to loopy and then you have another judge giving two rounds to cynthia 
in a three round fight, it you know everyone's gonna jump in on that. Like, oh look at this, it's it's another example. And you know it, it's it's hard. That fight was so close. You know there was some. I, I had no idea how to score it. I I thought I had a twenty nine twenty eight Cynthia. So when I saw thirty twenty seven Loopy, I was like, I must not know what I'm thinking, because you know whatever. But it it is what it is. And this one, like you said, it's definitely justifiable. Well, there of course there are definitely others where you know there are not. But mm-hmm. um, yeah. But still. Like I said, it was it was a good fight, and uh, I'm excited to see both of them moving forward. For sure, for sure. So next up, we have a middleweight bout between Joe Pfeiffer, who ended up getting the TKO against Gerald Mirshart in the first round. Uh, first of all, Joe Joe Pfeiffer is that dude. I just gotta say it right right now, off the top. I don't know how far he goes in this division. Or any division fighting the way he fights, right? Like either you're gonna get the knockout or you're probably gonna get killed. That's just the way he fights. Uh, but honestly, he's really grown into his frame at middleweight, grew a lot in this one, said it himself. He was he was looking beefy, considerably beefy in this one, AO. But um, really, th- this was nasty, dude. Like to see him not only stay within himself, but also find the points to damage Gerald Mearshart as bad as he did and stay on him. I mean, the stoppage was horrendous, if you ask me. Like, there was at least three times before they stopped it where I felt like, man, this is over. Like, why why are we still waiting? And there was, there was two times that I counted where Joe Pfeiffer really stopped fighting and looked at the ref like, are you fucking serious? All right, I guess I'll keep hitting him. And then kept on going. And you see Gerald Mershart not even responding to that, like just in a spot where he's just holding his ground. It's almost like you, like you're just kind of like you might as well tap, in my opinion. I know, I know there's such a bad rap that's given to tapping the strikes, but he literally was waiting for the ref to stop it. He was not doing anything to advance his position. And somehow the ref decided that he was still in the fight. I don't understand it, but let's not let that take away from what a win this was for Joe Pfeiffer. Yeah, man, I got to give it to Piper a lot. I I thought that this was going to be kind of like a, not a snoozer because I, I did think Mirshar was going to come out better than he's come out. Uh, he's got 51 pro fights. So I thought the experience was going to be there to, you know, hold it, you know, maybe to like a third round and then maybe Piper would have taken over. But I did have Piper winning it. I just thought Mirshar would have had a much better game plan or a much better time in the octagon because it almost seemed so one-sided the entire time. And now, like, he's one of those names. I know people are still not going to think about it right now, but I would start paying attention to Pfeiffer. I know middleweight, obviously, the title fight was middleweight, but start paying attention to this guy because he's going to be something. In about a year or two, he's going to be the name you're looking at. So I'm excited for sure when it comes to him. And Mearshart now, you know, you're at 51 Profiles. I I know it's it's kind of hard to think about because you're just seeing with Masvidal and 52 profiles and everything, but I don't know what happens with Mirshar from here. But Piper, man, he's his stock is rising very very quickly. So great win for him. I'm excited to see what happens to him moving forward. For sure, I think I think Mirshar's a road dog. I think he's gonna keep on fighting, win, lose, or draw, 
and and find himself in a couple of, of fights where he takes out a couple of prospects, right? Like that's what he's oh, of course. for at this point. Uh, but I agree, man. I think Joe Pfeiffer is the truth. There was a moment there where I didn't think I thought this was a hard fight. Like I really thought that this was gonna be a big test for him. And yes, he just blew him exactly. out of the water. Like honestly, there's some guys in middleweight, like I'm looking at you, Drickus Duplessis. I would pick Joe Pfeiffer over Drickus. Just seeing the way he can compose himself, obviously not in this fight. It, it only was one round, but in his last fight, to see the way he goes through these rounds, like Duplessis by the third round is huffing and puffing and, and barely there, right? So I don't know. I think there's some matchups where we, we could really see him catapult himself into contention real soon. Ooh, with Triscus though, you're that's a that we'll talk about that soon because obviously with the whole post fight interview and all that, you know, that was an interesting conversation, but I don't know with Drick uh, with Driscus and Joe, I would probably lean more on Driscus on that one because of the experience. But and especially because this is probably the highest of stock he has right now. But definitely, you know, I, I I'm with you on 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 Joe hundred percent and I'm so excited to see hopefully he bounces and comes back uh to the octagon soon because like this is this is the best he's looked and uh I, I'm looking forward to see what he's done doing moving forward. For sure. I like his team too. It's always good to see uh, a young crop of fighters coming up together, right? Like him, Sean Brady, all those guys in Philly doing their thing. It's not easy, but when you have a, a group of young guys like that who aren't necessarily good at the same thing, right? Like they're good at different things that in my opinion, that's a good, good ingredients to have a good camp around you when you got a lot of different bodies to simulate different fight conditions, but let's move on. Next up, we had a woman's strawweight bout between Luana Pinedo and Michelle Waterson. This one was a split decision. 28-29 for Watterson and 229-28 for Luana Pinedo. Me personally, I scored this fight for Michelle Watterson when I was watching it. I thought she landed more strikes on a more consistent basis. And when she landed her biggest strike, she did impact Luana in a big way that was uh, considerable. Uh, but I think the moments where regardless of regardless of how much the strike itself actually did, Luana's strikes were pushing Michelle back and, and had a more tangible um, effect on her in that way. Uh, so I would imagine that's why the judges uh, went with her in this one. But I, I always hate to see a fighter who's more active and, and tactically putting themselves in better positions to land than their opponent come out on the wrong side of the decision like that. Yeah, you know, the funny thing was is that going into the fight, I was like, oh, I think Pinero's got this one. Then throughout the fight, I'm thinking, all right, Watterson Gomez, I think he's, you know, she's got it. I think when, when it comes down to the decision, I think she's going to win unanimous. And then watching, like, the replay and then the highlights later on, I was like, oh, I could see how they did Because it did look like Pinero when she was landing was a little bit uh, more damage on certain strikes. So I could see how it kind of swung that way. But I don't know. It's still to this still to this whole entire thing. I, I, I felt Watterson had done enough. and. It kind of stinks for, but you know, like when when you lose in split decision like that, when you lose that close, it really doesn't hurt your stock all that much. But you know, Pinero is now eleven and one. That definitely helps out. And it, you know, for Waterson Gomez now eighteen and eleven, that doesn't help. But you know, hopefully they can jump back in the card real soon and and continue to to rise up. Yeah, for sure. I I know at this stage, Michelle Waterson has been hell-bent on trying to get a title shot. I think at this point, that's really out of reach. I think it'll, yeah. it'll take a huge run in the next couple of years. But I really like the changes that I saw from her here. I think she looked really fast, really, really powerful with the kicks. There's been times where 
she's she's executing a similar game plan, uh, but the kicks don't have the same effect, right? Uh, but it was it was really cool to see. And and hey, I love my girlfriend. She supports everything I do. But there's no shot she's still here at this point. This was the all goddamn fight of the night, right? Like both of these both of these girls. Ooh, goddamn, it's it's getting a little hot in here, Sean. <laughs> yeah, no, bro. I had a couple of friends over and we were watching, and we were like, damn. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Probably yeah, why yeah, I swayed it towards Michelle, to be honest. I don't hey, know. you know what? That is definitely what happened in the beginning. Probably at the end of round one, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> but yes, yes, <laughs> uh, it was definitely a very, very, very fun fight. That's definitely yes, to say the least. Shout, shout out to those two ladies. I think uh, no matter what, they proved that <laughs> no matter what, when they're on the card, it's going to be action and excitement for sure. Uh, not just because of the looks, but because of their styles. Uh, next up at middleweight, we had Kelvin Gastelum. Whew, Bro. Kelvin Gastelum coming out victorious against Chris Curtis in a barn burner. I won't be surprised if this one's in the conversation for fight of the year at the end of the year. That's how good this fight was. And earlier we we alluded to this one, right? Body work was the key for both of these fighters. And I, I love I love the action man too, Chris Curtis. Um, but I thought it was really special to see Calvin Gastelum in new form, taking advantage of an opponent who, in my opinion, has some of the same deficiencies that he does, right? Uh, but at this at this weight class, if you see that and you can recognize that, then you make adjustments to try to make this matchup more in your favor. And that's what I thought Kelvin did. I thought he stood light on his feet, kept himself in and out of the pocket um, so that it was harder for Chris to land extended combinations that really did damage. Uh, but Chris Curtis really came on towards the end of the second and the third, man. I would, I, I think he has an argument too for, for getting this win. Uh, that's how close this fight was. Uh, but how did you feel coming out of this one? Well, this was such an awesome fight. I did think Gaslam had done enough at the end of it all, but man, it felt so good to see Gaslam on like this type of fighter, man. He looked rejuvenated. He looked like, you know, he, he looked like himself, three or four years ago and like, you know, washing away, losing five out of six uh, coming into this. Like he like put all that to the side, new team. I get that, you know, but he looked awesome. That was, that was, it, it like made me think of like him against Adesanya all those years ago. You know, like he just, it was ride or die. Like everything was on the line for this. And I, I felt that that's how it was going in. I think everyone could have said, you know, gasoline lose this, this, this one, you know, losing six out of seven. It's tough to, you know, keep going from that or bounce back from it. But, man, that was that was one of the best fights I've seen from Gastelum, especially the last, like I said, since probably 2018. So I was so happy with that. And with Chris Curtis, man, that was such a close fight. I, you know, going into the that third round, I was like, hey, it could be 1-1. Like, it was so close. I think Gastelum had done enough towards, like, the final two and a half minutes to really seal the deal. But, man, you know, you go with Chris Curtis, who at a time, I think, won like eight or nine in a row before losing to Hermanson and beat Joaquin Buckley. And then this fight was kind of like that next step forward with the, you know, a veteran like Gaston has been around who has such a, like, funny, you know, record and stats where, you know, he goes out and beats Bisping the second he loses the championship, but then he goes out and loses to, um, what's his name? Uh, the former champion at Wyman. Nassau Coliseum. Weidman, yes, thank you. Uh, how do I forget Chris Weidman? But, you know, being from Long Island. But, yeah, and then loses to Chris Weidman. So, it, you know, it was just so flip-flop. You didn't know what type of gas you were going to get. But I still, even with this loss, you know, 
the bonus checks are coming, and I hope that both of them, you know, even though it's a minor setback for Curtis, I hope he comes right back into the cage and just continues to climb the ranks because they deserve it. You know, they're both on the bottom tier of the rankings right now, but they'll be right in the middle tier and should be, you know, moving forward after this. I agree, man. This fight was awesome. I think I think Curtis got a real bad rep because of that headbutt in the second. I think that really was a, a big swing moment because you're watching it live. Yes. And you don't really get that context. Like I didn't I didn't see that either because the camera angle that they were showing at the time was behind Kelvin. So you just see Curtis drop and, and it looks like he hurt him with something, but it, it turned out to be a headbutt. And obviously they don't know that in the moment either. So I'm sure that he was just on the ground like, oh shit, how how the fuck did I get here? Um so I think a lot of moments like that can lead to sort of unfortunate stuff where just now at this point, it, everyone is going to score that round for Kelvin. Uh, but it was so close, man. I think this is one of those that you could go back and rewatch it and, and have a different feel for who you think really won. Uh, but man, if you ask me, 30-27 for Gastelum is a little criminal. Like, I think there's no way you Definitely. score that third round. There's no way you score that third round for Gastelum. Yeah, I... I... I, I thought it was very, very close. I, I thought it was 29-28 Gaston. When I saw two uh, two judges go none for Curtis, that was that was definitely criminal. That was such a, like, you know, like you said, a barn burner. That was such a good fight. You know, there was, you can't, you can't possibly say that every round Curtis comes up on the losing end. It, it, that just didn't make sense to me. But like, I, like you said, I do, when I said before, I, I do think, Gaslam had done enough in the final two and a half minutes to win it. But, you know, it it was very debatable, but I still, you got to give Curtis one or two rounds. That's why I thought it was going to be split because there was a time where I thought Curtis won two rounds, but it was, uh, you know, 30, 27 though. That's rough. That's real rough. For sure. For sure. Definitely tough, but we'll move on. We got a main card. that's fucking packed. So I'm excited for this one. Um, our first fight on the main card, a catch weight of 137 pounds. I think that might have been more important than people realize there. But Christian Rodriguez fighting out of Chicago in that uh, Rufus Sport camp um, gets the victory over Raul Rosas Jr. Um, unanimous decision, all three across the board, 29-28. Um, oh, no, actually, one of them gave him a 10-8 round. Um, I would imagine that would be the second, not the third. Uh, I wish I had the cards in front of me to tell you. but. Um, I thought this fight, man, this fight sucked, in my opinion. And here's why. I think I think the hype machine of the UFC really sold this fight to be something that it never should have been. I think Christian Rodriguez, don't get me wrong, I don't think he deserves the credit as some kind of world beater on his own either. I, th- I think he found himself in positions where he should have been able to get Raul Rosas Jr. out of there, and he couldn't. Um, for the second and the third round, I think I think there was a lot of times where he could have put it on him and was just resigned to to sort of hold the position and maintain that control versus going for the finish. I, I understand that strategy, um, but especially when you have someone that tired based off of things that they're doing on their own as well, like you kind of already wore them out. Um, the idea of like cooking someone in, in, in jujitsu, right? Like you, you just kind of make them work. You let them try to try to get you out of there until you feel them change. And then once, once he felt Raul Rosas, um, his shots get a little bit labored in the second, I think it was all domination from that point forward. Um, obviously, towards the end of the third round, it kind of sucks, right? Like, you're almost like, man, like, 
not like why did they make this fight, right? Because this was a fight that on paper Raul should have won. Um, but I think the main thing that I felt going into that third round was like, why why is Raul Rosas fighting this way? Like I, I think someone that's a that's a grappler that's that good, obviously you wanna you wanna force your um the best part of your game on your opponent, right? I get that. Um, but there was a real desperation early on from the first round where it almost felt like if, if this doesn't work, it's not going to work ever. And that's a dangerous place to be in any MMA fight, but especially in the UFC, uh, when you have all this pressure and you're such a big prospect at 18 years old, like I can't imagine that, right? Like uh, we've seen similar things, but never nothing like this, like that never anyone this young, obviously we saw Vito Belfort at 19, but that's different. Like, he was already on all kinds of supplements and all that stuff then. Like, that is different. He was a grown man. You feel me? I think at this point, Raul Rosas has a lot of learning to do. And especially when it comes to his pacing and MMA pacing as well. Like, putting himself in positions where, yeah, your striking isn't the best, right? You're not a striker. But you got to put yourself in a position where you can at least land something or put something on the cards before you you have to exert your wrestling because it's literally impossible to wrestle someone for 15 minutes. Yeah, bro. I, I That was tough. Especially, like I said, because I'm Mexican. So, yes, I wanted Raul Rosas Jr. to win it. But you know what the funny thing was? Was that I knew it was going to happen when, when he was going so hard. He was emptying the entire gas tank in the first three minutes. And, you know, he was just trying to get that submission. He was trying to get the neck crank, and he was just just going all out. And then when you saw him going in that second round, the way he got up from the stool, you were like, oh, no. You know, like, he, he didn't even want to get up. And, I, dude, I got to give Christian Rodriguez hella credit because, man, like, he could have finished Raul at any time, I felt. But he just was – he was just relaxed. He was patient and was just, you know – Stuffing all the takedowns because you just Raul was just going for takedowns, and that was the thing. It's like it's not wrestling. This is MMA. Like you, you know, it's. I'm not trying to sound like you know, like these these common fans, but everyone could have predicted that you were going for that takedown. You were going for the double leg. You were going straight towards his legs. You you showed in, not until the third round. You didn't show any sort of will or desire to want to stand up and fight. And when you do that. The other guy's just going to be waiting to sprawl you every time. They're just going to wait to stuff every takedown. And then when you're gassed, you're not going to, you know, have the energy to get him off you. And, I, dude, it was such a fantastic fight for Christian. By, by like, the beginning of the third round where you see Joe Rogan and Daniel Cormier just saying, like, you know, Rosas Jr. has no idea what to do from here. This, You know, he's stuck in this body lock. He's, he's no way out. I was like, I, I was cheering for Christian. I was like, dude, this is great. Good for him. Good for him. They, you know, you're put into this fight to lose. UFC basically wants you to lose to, you know, have Ra Raul, uh, the hype train continue and, you know, to just slowly dominate and just put on an incredible show. I, I give nothing but credit to him and I have so much respect for him now. I, I, I look forward to him for the, you know, the rest of his career. I'll be cheering him on for sure. I agree, man. I think it, it takes a lot to be able to come through in a spot like that, right? Like to put put yourself in a position to win with all the odds stacked against you. I just feel like, in my opinion, you hate to see a, a result like that because I don't see Christian Rodriguez as being some kind of world beater either. Like I, I don't see him 
uh, unfortunately, I mean, obviously, I would love to be wrong, right? But I don't, I don't see him going on from here and making his way through the bantamweight division. I, I feel like there was a lot that he showed he needed to improve as well, and and he's thirty one years old versus eighteen years old, right? So, um, I don't know how far he's going to be able to go in the UFC. But fights like this always leave a weird taste in my mouth, right? Because it almost feels like. And and forgive me if this is too harsh, but it feels like we just watched the Triple A fight, right? Like this doesn't feel like a, a what should be a UFC level or the major leagues of of MMA. It almost felt like a, a amateur fight or or someone on the regional scene that's getting that requisite level of experience, and they sort of hit that wall. Uh, you almost wish that a guy could find the, those experiences outside of the UFC, where the spotlight isn't on you in this kind of way where now everyone is just pointing at him saying he's a bust. I don't think he's a bust. I think his upside's higher than Christian Roger. If we're buying stock, double down and buy the Rosas Jr. stock right now, because obviously Christian Rosa, uh, Rodriguez is going to be going up. Uh, but I, I think Ra Raul Rosas has a lot to learn. I think this was a, a good prospect loss. You didn't get finished, but you got your ass beat. Like, you know what it feels like. Uh, to have those tides turn now and, and to be in that fight and not be able to find your way out of it. Uh, I mean, like, shout out to Joe Rogan for pointing this out, but the man was, he must have crossed himself like 10 times before that third round uh, because he knew he needed something that he didn't have to, to win that fight. Uh, so I think he's going to learn a lot and, and put himself in a position to to really use his skills in an appropriate way that'll that'll further his chances of winning instead of putting himself in a bad spot. Uh, but man, um, yeah, can't help but felt like that was a, a, a minor league fight there. Yeah, you know what, though? That's I, I feel that's what happens with the UFC sometimes when you put on hype fights. When they 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 have that little dramatic hype fights every now and then where you get these guys who are either prospects coming up or guys from other things that are coming to the UFC or these old veterans who were once great coming back and you know obviously not being what they once were you could go with cm punk you could go with nick diaz when you fought robbie Lawler just a couple uh, months back you know they're just completely different level of fighting you were just like this is not ufc level fighting but i do really love that rosas jr lost and i, I don't mean that in a mean way i mean that as like i was saying before prospects losing like this this wasn't just a loss this was you got your ass kicked you got you got beaten down, and all that talk of oh I would you know I would beat uh, Aljamain Sterling right now, uh, you know I'm a top five guy right now. Two more wins, I'll be champion at twenty. You know, I I could beat anyone in the top five right now. I would submit them, and it's like, yeah, you really think that right now because you know Christian Rodriguez just made sure that you could shut your mouth and you know learn from this. Cause and I think he has. I think he really thought you know winning the way he was to when he started in the contender series to now. Like oh, this is the this is the competition. Roll right through these guys, and then to to have a guy like you said, Christian Rodriguez, thirty one years old, not thinking much in the bantamweight division, and he missed weight. So it's like, yeah, those two pounds could definitely take an effect for sure. But you know, like you, you no one has ever, no casual fan has ever said, man, Christian Rodriguez is going to be champ one day. And Christian Rodriguez is top five, you know. So you know, when you you lose the way you did where, yeah, you could, you know, you got the first round, but you had, you, you didn't show up for the last two. This is definitely a, a moment where you reflect, you watch this fight over when you get back to the gym, you watch it a couple times and you see how embarrassing it was you lost, but now you build from it and you make sure it never happens again. So mm -hmm. it's nothing but bright future for him still. He's still only 18, bro. 
he's eight years younger than me. Like, you know, he's he still could be on the, his pace that he wants to be the youngest UFC champion ever. I know that's what he really wants. But, you know, he's he's got five years to do it, so he's got nothing but time. So this is definitely a beautiful time to learn and uh, correct your mistakes. For sure. Couldn't even grab a beer after the fight. I agree with you 100%, man. And I think him and Jacqueline are in a very rare spot where, yes, you lost. Yes, you got dominated. But you could almost tell yourself, like, I'm better than that person. Like, even though I lost, I showed y'all in the first round that skill for skill, I'm better than you. But now it's about overcoming that hump and figuring out how to pace yourself, figuring out how to use those skills and weaponize those skills in a way that can get you wins. So I agree, man. I hope that they uh, take the right uh, lessons from these fights and keep moving in the right direction, right? Because a lot of the times we take that for granted too. Like it's easy for us to say, well, this loss can give this person this, or this loss should get, it takes a hell of a lot to do what, uh, for example, what Izzy was able to do in the main event takes an insane amount of uh, self-belief, but also um, just an insane grind to put yourself through, to acknowledge the mistake you made, look at it in the face, and then make the decisions, the right decisions to, to unpack that and find yourself to the victory the next time. Um, obviously, they're not going to be in rematches, but I think there's a lot of work to be done, uh, but you're not in the worst spot as prospects there with those losses, for sure. But yeah, right. definitely. I, 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 sorry, sorry. I was going to say, definitely, you know, I think this is, like you said, still so, such a young kid, and he's going to be fine. You know, take a couple time, take a couple months to learn from this, because I know he kept saying, you know, I want to fight every two months. I want to be, uh, you know, top five within a year from now, and only the top five contenders will slow me down, but Take some time, learn from it, because you know you're gonna you're gonna fight. Your next fight's gonna be a guy just like that, and then if you can dominate like the way you know you were supposed to, then that's when the hype really builds. Then we see that you're not a one round fighter. You're not just going for the submission within the first two minutes, but you're that you can be a three round fighter, and then you slowly build up to being a five round championship fighter. That's what it's all about. That's such a great observation. I agree with you 100%. So let's move on. Our next one. I'm really excited uh, to, to talk about this one because I feel like this fight is so, so strange. So strange. Um, I wish I, I need a. You know what I need to do for the next episode? I will remind myself. I need to have these, uh, the, the actual database with the... Um, the round scores, because I, I, I'm, I wonder uh, what the scores were going into the third, uh, but Kevin Holland was able to get the knockout victory in the third round against Santiago Ponzinibbio at 316. Just a vicious uh, left, what was it, a left hook? Uh, a vicious left hand that sat down um, Santiago, and obviously after that, just follow-up shots, and sent, buried him through the canvas and then he popped up quick and was sort of making a protest. I thought it was a, it was a late stoppage, not a, not a, not a bad stoppage. I thought it was a late stoppage. So um, no issues with the stoppage there. I shout out to Ponzinibbio all heart, right? Like one had no idea what happened, but was just like, I'm fine. Like I didn't die yet. Like let, let me keep fighting. Uh, but obviously that's why the, the refs are there and, and all the commission are there to keep these guys from themselves. Uh, Cause I'm sure in the street, right. They would have been like, all right, let's just run it right back then. If you're fine. Uh, but uh, th thankfully that's not the situation we were in that. I thought that was a clear knockout. You could sort of see him go out of it with those follow-up shots as well. Um, 
I don't know what to make of Kevin Holland. I I thought this was a very I thought this was a good performance. I thought it was a different storyline than his usual fights. I thought I thought he showed a willingness to be present and listen to his corner in a way that he's never done before. Um, I don't know how much that's going to help or benefit him personally. I think a little bit of his success does come with the chaos. I mean, we saw that with the the single leg attempt, right? He has one leg up in the air and he lands a back fist on Santiago that almost put him out. And it's like, how are you generating that kind of power from that position? Uh, most of the time, if you're throwing that strike, your coach is like, what are you doing? Like, focus on the takedown defense. You're going to get taken down against better fighters. But he finds a way to make power in the most absurd spots. Yeah, you know what? I, I looked it up after you uh, you said that. And, you know, Kevin Holland had the first two rounds. Every judge had it 10-9 uh, 10, 10 9 for both both rounds. So he was technically on his way to victory. And uh, I don't see the thing is with this with the back fist there, how much of it was his power and how much of it was uh, Ponzinibbio's chin? You know, Ponzinibbio's chin isn't, I would say, not to be rude, but not what it once was. And, uh, you know, he's had injuries throughout his career and he's been knocked out plenty in his career. And yes, I also agree 100 percent. Great stoppage because he went to sleep. He was asleep for like a good two to three seconds. And I think that hammer fist or whatever it was while he was down, I think woke him up. And so when you're asleep for just a couple seconds, you don't realize that you were asleep. So you feel like you just fell and you're just waking up like, oh, I'm here. But you don't realize that you've missed three seconds of the very important time and why, you know, Dan Rigliotta had to call it because you're on the verge of much, much worse brain injury. But yeah, you know what? I I give it to Kevin Holland. And that's the thing, Kevin Holland, is that when he fights like he wants to win, when he fights like, you know, everything's on the line and whatever, I'm all in, you know, I'm all in with Kevin Holland. He could be great, especially at 170. I think he's much better at 170 than at 180. I want to really climb the ranks, top 10, top five. I want to be a champion one day, Kevin Holland. And you don't really get that. Sometimes you get it. Like this one, I think, you know, he he was there. I think he was less jokey. He wasn't messing around as much. But, you know, like I think he really wanted to win this one. And there are some fights he just wants to take to get a paycheck and it kind of, you know, mess around. But this one was a great fight. I love this Kevin Holland. I hope he continues this and, you know, he gets another fight just like this and continues to, you know, one, be ranked and climb the ranks. For sure. I agree 100%. I thought this was a great performance and... I agree with you too. It's it sucks. I feel like Santiago's in a position where he's just a gatekeeper at this point in his career, and there's nothing really um, that he can do to get out of that. It, it it always sucks to me whenever you're watching a fighter who is so far removed from what they used to be, but they still fight as if they are that person. And and I, I think we saw that in his last fight against Alex Morona, where he's just getting hurt constantly by someone who's not even known for having that kind of power. Um, and still willing to put himself in the fire, right? Like we saw it with this one too. He was putting it on Kevin Holland at times, but just the range and everything, it was just a a tall task, right? And eventually he ended up getting finished there. Either way, it looked like it was going to be a a loss on on the record at the end of the day. I think his time at the top of the division is definitely done. I think, um, I think moving forward though, um, both of these guys, um, 
are going to be fun fights, no matter who they're fighting. So we have that to look forward to, at least for sure. Yeah, definitely. I like I said, when when, when Kevin Holland's there, it's great. And then for Santiago, you really don't, you don't. Hopefully, he can bounce back and 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 be something, and you know, continue this reign because when he's the old Santiago, he's a fantastic top ten fighter. But you know, injury that his injuries have plagued him, and he hasn't been the same. So we'll see. So next up, we had Rob Font. Rob Font getting the TKO at two minutes and fifty-seven seconds of the first round against Adrian Yanez. Obviously, the shout out Roy Jones Jr. The y'all must have forgot moment of the night. Uh, love to see someone who's just entirely counted out, right? To put on a war, to be in the line of fire, to take fucking bombs like this wasn't easy like yeah he got the knockout win but he had to go through the fire to get it uh how, how did you feel about this one man i loved it because i was cheering for rob font the whole time as much as i love adrian yana's in the train that the ufc is trying to hype around him I, I i it's amazing how much they try to push rob font out you know he was number six he's number six ranked and you know he was you know on his way to being a, a, a legitimate contender in the bantamweight division, but then when you he lost to Jose Aldo, and then people were like, "Oh, well, guess he's not." And then losing to Cheeto Vera, and it's like, "Oh, he's definitely not." Let's try to push him out, and it's like, you, it's crazy. Like he, you know, he had four straight wins. Like he was on his way, had that you know dominant victory over Cody Garbrandt. And you were like, "All right, he might be real deal." And then it's just crazy how quickly, you know, the UFC or UFC fans, or whatever you want to say, the hype can quickly be there for him and, and immediately push him out the door. And I loved every second of that fight. It, one, I was cheering for Adrian Giannis too, but I wanted Font to win. And that was just an incredible fight. The whole week we knew that that was going to be, you know, the, one of the fights of the night, that it was going to be a banger. Someone's going to go to sleep. And I think 75% was picking Font to lose. You know, riding that Adrian, uh, Adrian Giannis train, and I, I loved it, man. Rob Font's right back in there now. He's got to be five four. You know, he's got to be right there. If he was six, you know, he's got to be right there. So, you know, don't forget who Rob Font is. You know, he's about two fights away from a from a title shot. If he can continue, you know, just with fights like these, how could you forget? And uh, Adrian Giannis, is, yes, it, this hurts, and this is probably as brutal as it comes. You know, mentally losing a fight like this is just like your big moment, Miami. I get it. But this is, it's a lot smaller than you think. And you could come right back and, you know, be a top contender, especially with the way you were fighting. You know, you got caught, but it's all right. Just come back next time and you'll be just fine. I agree, man. That was not what I expected at all. Honestly, I thought, honestly, I thought he was rounding third on his career. I thought, I thought, with the way he was looking against guys who aren't even in the UFC no more, like Marlon Marais and uh, a couple of different other guys. But I think it really speaks to the the strength of this Bantamweight division, right? It's just a, a murderer's row of absolute dogfights, no matter no matter how, how far away you are, honestly, from the top 15. Like, th this is one of those divisions that I can confidently say is probably, like, 35 deep of actual contenders like uh, people who can with a couple wins find themselves in the title picture uh just an insane division and to see him really stake his claim remind everyone why he's here right and 
just that knockout, right? Like that picture is insane. Like it almost remind me, uh, obviously very different punches, but just the way his body reacted kind of reminded me of that Jamal Hill versus um, Johnny Walker fight just exploded after the knockout. Yes. It looks, it looks like he was shot out of a cannon. Uh, that was just a nasty right hand in the clinch too. Uh, really was rooted to Yanez the entire time and just blasted him with a shot uh, that he didn't see coming that just sent him, sent him, man. Um, Rob Foss, that dude, I love, I love, love to support my Boricuas, right? But I, I honestly did not expect him to to be competitive, yet alone win. And man, he, like I said, there was, it, it wasn't easy. There was rough moments. There was moments where it felt like he was falling into that same trap and getting hurt. I mean, we already saw that big, that big mouse under oh, the yeah. right eye, uh, really swelled up quickly. And I think that says a lot about um, just the punishment he's taken throughout his career. But just a solid knockout win. And I, I'm, I'm sure Yanez is gutted, but you can't even be mad at a performance like that, right? Like you, you, you put yourself in a position to win. You hurt him multiple times and you just caught yourself gunsling a little bit too much. And once again, now it's time to recorrect the steering wheel almost. Like, I think I, I saw this coming with the way round one against, oh man, why am I forgetting his name? He's from Boston. Um, Brandy Costa. In his last Ooh, fight, yes. where in that first round, there was moments where he was having trouble with Costa's length, and Costa was landing shots, and we see he's there to get hit. He's very Masvidal-esque in his mannerisms, his fucking face, he looks just like him, but also <laughs> his his fighting style with being willing to take one to give one and and keep himself in that pocket, ready to exchange. Um, I, think, I think he learns a lot from this one as far as positioning in the cage and where you put yourself in these positions and and really managing that in exchanges versus i got this guy hurt now it's time to go to go burr to say the least uh but it's rob font man that's all i gotta say rob fucking font that was awesome yeah man i, I love stuff like this this is a great fight and you know what it, it was one of those you know uh i can't like can't believe you forgot like did you all forget about me and it, a perfect statement fight for Font. And this puts him right back. Like I said, top five. And now he'll get another fight that's, you know, Bantamweight's so deep. It's crazy. I hope he gets the, the benefit of the doubt and fights someone ahead of him instead of, you know, when you get these guys who, who you know, are middle of the pack but always are fighting guys behind them. And uh, I, I hope Font can get someone, you know, within the top four. But it's huge it was huge and i like you said man Fon had that that his eye was all busted up blowing up and i i thought man Giannis is you know a couple seconds away from just one clean shot to put him away but man it it was kind of like a teaser to what we saw to that main event where you thought for one second you had it one way and all of a sudden it flipped the complete opposite way so a great fight for Fon, even a great fight for Giannis, and it's you know it's it's only a benefit for both of them moving forward I agree. There were so many comebacks on this card. Like, I, I love watching fights. Obviously, I watch a squash match with the best of them, but I like watching competitive fights and fights where you have those momentum shifts. And this entire night was full of that. Uh, but let's move on to the co-main event, a big fight with obviously big stakes for both of these guys coming out. Gilbert Burns winning a decision against Jorge Masvidal, 30-27 on two cards, 29-28 on the third. I actually tend to agree, excuse me, I tend to agree with that third card. Um, I, I thought Jorge did enough in the first 
to to win almost by inaction like to put him in a position where he's landing leg kicks but he's not allowing the exchanges to go further than that uh so i gave the first round of jorge uh but after that it was all gilbert i honestly was a little i didn't really know how to feel about this performance because i feel like if we got the same gilbert that came out against hamzat and was was back against the wall forced to 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 sort of dig deep off rip I think he is able to get Jorge Masvidal out of there. I think it, it's almost like that that first round, everything kind of slowed down, and he was just like, "All right, like I, I it's time to go win," and that, that's what he did in the second and third. Um, I, I thought that right hand was there for him all night. Whenever he threw it, whether it was straight or a hook, he was able to land. And I agree with Jorge's decision, man. I think at this point in his career, let's be honest, right? Like, I'm a fucking Jorge Masvidal fan. Shout out. Shout out the Ellenberger brothers. I I've been here for the for a long time watching his run through lightweight first and now a welterweight. I thought he, even his run where he rose to prominence again. You look back at those fights and who he fought, right? Like I think a lot of it, and and once again, I'm not trying to discredit him because I'm a fan of the work he does and his ability to get knockouts even before that run. But Darren Till and Ben Askren aren't world beaters at 170 and it was almost like a a perfect storm to bring him up to a level where we put him in the top five of the division but in my opinion and this is with all due respect right not everyone is a top five fighter and i feel like jorge masvidal throughout his career his time as a top five fighter long past him in my opinion i think i i remember back um he fought benson henderson in korea and and that was a fight where i was like I thought he won that fight and he got robbed and, and came away from that fight feeling like, man, this guy's so underappreciated. Like nobody gives Jorge the respect he deserves. And don't get me wrong. It's been great to see that resurgence, to see him get the acclaim that he never had. Right. Like, even though he's always been a fighter's fighter, a hardcore fighters um, fight fans dream, right? Like everyone know who's in it. You, you respect Masvidal and you like what he does, but at the same time, he never really was that top five fighter, but because he had that run where the the hype machine was able to sell him as that guy that puts people out, then he became someone that found his way into two title fights and kept himself around contention. But in reality, I don't think he ever was skill for skill on that level with the welterweights. So don't get me wrong. I'm not here trying to talk shit on Jorge Masvidal. I'm just trying to say like, his career trajectory and talk about wringing the towel dry, right? Like, I feel like he got the opportunities in his career that he actually should have gotten earlier on. And if he had gotten this push earlier on, maybe we could have seen him become a champion, but for everything he's able to accomplish in the sport at that stage of his career, you got to tip your hat to him, man. I, I still think he has some of the best wins in MMA. When you look down through his record, it's insane. The longevity, the amount of people that he's fought, um, it's insane. So shout out to Jorge Masvidal. I hope the retirement sticks, right? Because a lot of these retirements end up, uh, he'll end up fighting on a on a on a what what are the what are they called the um the BKFCs of the world, or, or even for his own promotion or something like that. I hope he stays retired because I agree with him. I think he was gun shy out there, and I think he doesn't he doesn't have the same reaction speed that he used to when he was younger. And, and please, I encourage you all, look back at those fights because if you like what he's able to do now at this stage of his career, back then he was even better, like even better. So shout out to Jorge Masvidal, really wrung the towel dry on his career. 
But as far as Gilbert Burns, honestly, I thought he had a harder time than he should have in this fight. Like, I felt like early on, he it took him to sort of settle in to find his range when in reality it was almost it was always there right so um i think him being gung-ho about a title shot i get it you deserve the spot uh but as far as your performance in this fight i don't, I don't know if that's a title shot performance how did, how did you feel about this co-main event well okay so there's a lot to digest with what you just said with the fight i believe that he wanted to, I think he wanted to stand up and he wanted to beat Masvidal in the stand up in the beginning. And I think, you know, he had landed a lot. He had connected a lot. You know, he had Masvidal falling back and, you know, retreating and whatever. And, you know, he's trying to smile it off like, oh, you got me. Like, ha ha ha. But Gilbert, I think, was better in all aspects of the fight. Like, Masvidal might have won that first round because it was a little, uh, you were kind of just testing the waters. But, you know, I think Gilbert wanted to finish him. And then I think he was like, listen, I, you know, three-round fight, I might as well do what I'm best at, and that's wrestling and the takedowns. And Masvidal's got none of it. Let me just dominate real quick. And it's what he did. And I, I completely credit him for it. And that was exactly what I think everybody wanted. Everybody thought what we were going to see, especially, you know, the betters out there and all those uh, sports books. And I think it was exactly what we expected um i was a little surprised going into this week that masvidal had said that he was going to retire because he still has a couple fights left on the contract and he makes a lot of money uh each and every time so i thought hey you know there's, there's always a fight out there you know right now if, if he didn't renounce retirement I guarantee he'd be thrown in against you know him and kevin holland huge hype fight you could literally throw that hotel scene as like the you know the hype of the whole fight, people are buying the, the pay-per-view. So I think, you know, Masvidal realizes, like, listen, I'm probably not going to get another title shot until minimum 40. Do I really want to be fighting when I'm 40? Probably not. You know, this is probably my time to leave now. Do I think he stays retired? No, I don't. I'm not going to lie to you. I think I said it right when he, when he was thinking about retiring. Like, he didn't put the gloves down. He kind of held them and then threw them into the crowd. Uh, like, I think, I think if the opportunity presents itself and, you know, something hype happens, he would come back one more time or, or even fight for his own promotion. You know, his promotion seems to be doing decently well. It's got a lot of good names over there. So I could see him, you know, on a desperation thing or even to, to try to promote his own thing. He puts himself on a main, uh, main event or, you know, co-main event to his own card and kind of promote his own stuff which i'm not sure how you know how much that'll do or if he can even do that but i don't think this is the end for him fighting's in his blood you know he's 38 i think right now so i definitely think he will continue fighting i think he'll take time you know this is brutal you know you're in miami i think like it was like what um it was like what dana said when khabib retired like i think it was emotional you know, you you get you get UFC back in Miami for 20 years. It's finally built around you, and once again, you lose for the fourth time, for the sixth time in nine, you know, nine attempts. You know, he he had a nice run. I I love Masvidal, I do, but you know, like maybe not towards the end. I think everything that happened with the Covington thing and the allegedly, allegedly, allegedly thing, like that was a little that like as funny and as you know 
clickbait as that is, that's, you know, it's a pretty douche thing to do. Uh, you know, you, you legally had to fight him for 25 minutes. You came up completely short and then you, all that stuff. But, you know, I, I'm not going to discredit him. Four fights, four fight losing streak, but, you know, fighting Kamaru twice, who was at his peak of peaks. And one of them was, you know, you had six days to fly to Abu Dhabi and lose 20 pounds and do it. You know, people forget about that. People forget that he took Gilbert's spot and, you know, had a tough loss. But, you know, and then obviously the knockout, losing to your former best friend and then losing like this in Miami. It's just a bunch of brutal, hurt, hurtful losses all in a trilogy like that for even in four. So it's super painful. But, you know, like you said, you could go back to any of those fights. You can look at the Darren Till fight. You can look at the Nate Diaz fight, the Donald Cerrone fight, even obviously Ben Askren fight. You know, he has a great resume. And I guarantee you, like, if they're going to put Donald Cerrone in the, in the Hall of Fame, Masvidal will be right there, too, in a couple of years. And uh, when you talk about Gilbert, Gilbert, I don't know if it was much of a title fight, a title contending fight for him. But at the same time, bro, Covington's getting a title shot. After just beating Masvidal in a snoozer, I, I consider it a snoozer. Yeah, Covington was way better. You know, he took advantage of Masvidal's inability to wrestle. But Covington hasn't fought in a year thanks to Masvidal outside the ring. I get that. But uh, I get, at this point, like, the, the division so, is weaker than, mo than it should be. So, yeah, I could see Burns being next because Burns – Put up that great performance against Usman in the title fight until eventually losing thanks to the to the to the jabs over and over again. But yeah, after the Covington fight, especially if Covington beats Leon Edwards, which I don't know if that's going to happen, but if he does, then you get these great wrestlers in Covington and Gilbert Burns. You know, then Gilbert Burns might have the edge there. I'm not saying he you know he does, but Gilbert can actually stand him and fight. While I think Covington doesn't have hand strength like that, and it would be a great brawl. So. It depends. It really depends, obviously, with this and, you know, what the, the people behind Gilbert do and obviously what happens in that title fight in, in a couple months. Yeah, man. I think moving forward, I don't I don't know if there's going to be a dominant champion at 170 for a while. I, I, I like Leon Edwards. I like what he's able to do. Um, I just think styles make fights in the top of this division. There's just so many different people coming through, even if even if it wasn't Covington. Right. Like, I think Gilbert is a tough fight for Leon Edwards. I think, I don't know, man. I think there's going to be some cycling through this division and and a real changing of the guard coming soon with guys like, um, shit, Chimaev and and Shavkat coming up. Those are those are people too that nobody wants to fight. Uh, so once they get into title contention too, it's going to be interesting. Uh, but well, that 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 leads me to sorry to 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 interrupt you, but man, I got to ask you, you know. What have what do you I don't you know what do you think now with Kamaro like what do you see happens with him next we were together when we saw his fight against Leon Edwards uh, the second or third time really but you know he's still right there he's number one contender obviously he's right now a gatekeeper in that division he can't get another title shot for a while but you know he's another guy where if he rolls off two or three victories is he back in that contention as well. Dude, is there some unfortunate situation where they, you know, him and Covington fight a third time? Now that the stakes are completely different, it, it, there's a lot still to be answered in that division. So, you know, Gilbert, I don't know if he deserves a title shot either because he, you know, hasn't really, he didn't beat Kamaro. So, like, you know, if Kamaro wins his next fight, then it's like, you know, or and Bilal Muhammad too, he might deserve a shot. So, 
You know, like there's still guys that are right there next to you that deserve a shot just as much. And, you know, depending on what Kamaru does, depending on obviously Leon Edwards versus Colby, there's still a lot of questions on who deserves the title. Like those four or five guys right there are, you know, could get a title shot soon and are, are champions now, but there's none of them that you think of that are like, once they're champions, they're going to be champions for a very long time. Like the, he's better than the rest of them. It, it could keep switching hands for all we know. Such a great point. I agree with you 100%. I think if I'm Mick Maynard, I am blowing up Kamaru and Bilal and trying to get them on the same card as Leon Edwards and Kobe um, Cummington because I feel like that is the the true number one contender fight in this division. And I agree. I think weird, that's the though. unfortunate part. That's the unfortunate part, in my opinion, of excuse me, of having these... Um, I just lost my train of thought there. Let's get it back. Let's get it back. So, yes, that's an unfortunate part of having the hype machine, right? Because you look at a fight like this coming in, if Jorge gets this win, everyone's rallying the troops. Let's get the Leon fight, right? Nobody's worried about anything else. But in the inverse, just because they're giving this person the hype job doesn't mean that you're also deserving of getting a title shot off of beating them, when in reality, they're the 11th ranked guy in the world, right? So, like, that's a very frustrating part to me about it's almost like two different divisions, right? And this happens in, in welterweight and lightweight where like these guys aren't even facing the top guys and they end up becoming a top fighter, a top five fighter without even facing co top competition. That's my issue with Kobe Covington too. He had two wars with Kamaru, yes. But who did he beat to get up to those title fights? Robbie Lawler. They're like, uh, like a whole bunch of guys that like you look back at his Iron resume Woodley. and it's insane. Is that It's insane yeah. that he's he is still holding this spot in the division despite not having wins against guys like that. So in my opinion, I think I think if we're talking about who's deserving, Gilbert deserves a shot over over Covington 100%. 100%. But but you could argue Kamaru Kamaru deserves to be in a number 1 spot. You could argue Bilal deserves the the shot more than anyone based on on the run that he's on. So it's like it's a good position to be in for the UFC. Don't get me wrong. It doesn't matter. You roll the dice. You're going to get a good fight with the, with the way the top of that division is looking. But at the same time, you almost lose the meritocracy aspect of the sport, where it's just like, if you could ride a little wave and get some buzz on your name, besides what you do as a contender, it can really put you in a higher position than you deserve to be. And then those guys who make a name just beating people up, uh, don't find themselves in those spots until way later. Like, I would hate to see Bilal Muhammad end up in a position like Tony Ferguson did, where he never really gets a shot to be the undisputed champ because they keep matching him up with other people. Yeah, and I, I agree with that because, you know, I thought I thought he was going to get a legitimate shot with when he beat Sean Brady. Sean Brady was so hyped up, and he went out there and beat him. And obviously, I thought with, you know, when he fought Edwards and it ends in the eye poke and all that, you know, it's unfortunate, but it's kind of like, okay, like, but now Edwards is a champ. That fight should have happened. You could run that. now. You could be like, all right, they're going to fight again. Because going into that fight, there was no clear all day, you know, Edwards would win all day. But now that Edwards is champion, it's all, all Edwards would win all day. But it's like, you don't know. Bilal is, I get it because Bilal isn't that intriguing enough like Colby like Edwards right now, like Kumaru was, and, and, you know, what Masvidal could have been, and, you know, Gilbert being the former sparring partner for Kumaru. Like, there's always a story. But Bilal, it's, you know, people find him not boring, but he's just not the draw out of all of those guys. So, it, you know, the UFC, 
will pick, okay, which guy deserves it? Okay, but which guy is getting us the most money in this? Okay. Uh, Covington's in the middle of both. We'll choose Colby. Because when you look at Colby, right? You Like you said, he beat Masvidal, sure. Then the last fights are guys who aren't even really even in the UFC anymore. And if they are, they're all like on the back burner towards the end. You got Masvidal, he just beat Tyron Woodley, get knocked out by Jake Paul and all that. That was his last TKO victory. And then Robbie Lawler, Rafael Dos Anjos, like Damian Maya, so many guys from the past. Like those were his last wins. And, and yes, his only two losses are, you know, the Camaro. I get it. But it's like, how could you possibly say and, and be so definitive and be like, now he deserves it. He hasn't fought in a year, but he's definitely next. Well, because if Camaro wasn't champion, all of a sudden now he slots back in. Because if Camaro had beaten Leon, you're not saying Colby's next. You would never say that. There's no reason never... Colby should be next. I'm sorry to cut you off, but it's pissing me off, bro. Literally, Steven Thompson has a better claim to a title shot than Colby Covington. That's yep. the state of this division. So no matter what happens, honestly... We're going to get a good fight regardless, right? Like, I can't be too mad. But at the end of the day, this division needs some real sorting out. And and I don't think the UFC is going to do it. Like, I think they're more interested on capitalizing on the on the hype, on these things, hype. than yep. actually pursuing what I feel is the, the meritocracy aspect of the sport. But, ah, oh man, if you if you are Mick Maynard, what, what fight are you giving for the title right now? For who would be Leon's next shot? Uh, see, that's the thing. Right now, I would go with Bilal because that fight is unanswered when they were when they did fight, mm-hmm. and you know Bilal was the one who got eye poked. So you know, like it's not the other way around where then you can you know the fans could take it a whole different direction. Mm-hmm. But that fight was supposed to happen, and Bilal has done enough t- to beat these guys who are behind him for the UFC. You know, the UFC put him in the position to lose with guys like Sean Brady and others to come in and beat him, and he has taken care of them all. So I think, I yeah, I did feel like, because it's, it's just the timing's so weird, and I don't think anyone really thought Edwards was going to win that third fight. I think you would probably say 75% of the majority thought Kamara would win because of the way the second fight ended. Kamara was a better fighter than the second one. So that kind of would have, you know, held the division down a little more, but now it's in like this complete, you know, what happens now sort of thing. So I would have definitely given it to Bilal or I would have had Bilal versus Colby for the number one contender. That's what I would have had because Colby was out of action due to the Masvidal, you know, shit storm outside the ring. I would have had those two fight for the number one contender because Covington's been sitting there as a gatekeeper and Bilal's been on his way up. And then you could have had, you know, Gilbert, Versus, you know, like, like Gilbert versus Masvidal. You know, Masvidal is back there, but he's still a high fight. Whoever wins that could be right there, too, or, you know, like that. But to give automatically Covington beats Masvidal, who's clearly on his way out, his win, and then take a year off, and all of a sudden, oh, congratulations, you beat Masvidal a year ago. You're, a cha- you're, you're fighting for the championship now because Kamaro's not there. Because, like I keep saying, if Kamaro w- had won that third fight, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Covington would be a gatekeeper right now fighting Bilal Muhammad probably in, in mm. for a number one contender because Covington would have never gotten the fight because it makes no sense to do a third fight if Kamara would have watched him for a third time. So that I don't like. I don't like just because you have a new champion, Covington's automatically, oh, good, a shiny new object, shiny again, throw him back in. I don't like and, that. And, and even the people that, 
take take it how you can take it, right? But even the people who actually enjoy the, the dumb shit that Kobe Covington spews, he's not a draw. So like, I don't understand why there's this constant like he does this for us, he's gonna sell for us. No, he doesn't. Like, he's just fucking cringe, bro. Anyway, I'm I'm tired of him. We we spent he's a far too he's much a draw in middle away. America. That's what he is. Uh, he's a draw yeah. in middle America, and and if you have a card in middle America, which it won't be, it'll be in London. But exactly. you, that you can sell even more though. It's you know you got England versus what you know a, a shitty representation of what America looks like right now with Covington coming over because you know he's gonna come in with uh, everything revved in American gear and all of you know England's mm. trash, America's great. He's gonna shit. On all of that, when he fighting the Boston Tea Party, everything. Oh yeah, bro, he's gonna <laughs> make this such a dramatic and stupid thing. But you know, that's that's the other draw too, is that he mm. will represent. It'll make it, you know, which country's better? Oh, you know, it's a it's seventeen seventy six all over again, and some <laughs> stupid stupid fight and stupid war that they'll hype up, and it it, it is what it is. But it it'll be uh it will be a draw, unfortunately, because. You know, you have it in England as well for Edwards. For sure. Well, we got to move on to the most important fight of 286, yes. 287. I'm so hyped. I've been waiting to talk to you about this one. Adesanya versus Pereira, two in MMA, but four across all combat sports. Adesanya finally able to exercise those demons and get a knockout victory of his own in the second round, late in the second round. Um, I just want to I just want to lay lay the ground for you for this one. Please let me know how you felt watching this one during round 1 and then going into round 2. What was the reaction? What was the feel like? How how do you feel coming out of this main event? Uh I thought it it went I didn't think it was going to be that traumatic obviously with that type of knockout, but I did think Adesanya would win. But I told you. I told you that my betting is the worst ever. So I picked Pereira to win because I knew that would help you. And I'm always, and I told you this, that I, who I want to win, which I, I wanted Anasanya to win. But if you pick the guy you don't want to win, it's a win-win in either situation. But I just thought Anasanya was clearly a better fighter the last time. And then obviously, you know, you got to finish that. That's kind of how the story was last year for so many fights. You know, Juliana Pena and Amanda Nunez, Kamaru Usman and Leon Edwards, you have, and, and uh, Izzy and 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 uh, Barrera the first time, so it was just built that way where champions were there, and then all of a sudden something happened and they weren't. And uh, I just thought Adesanya was a clearly better fighter the whole time the first time. And uh, Pereira loves to do what he loves to do, where he likes to just constantly push the pace, constantly pressure you so much to get you back into the cage. That's all he did that first time they fought. He was just waiting to get Adesanya on the outside of the octagon. And then he would go and start swinging when Adesanya couldn't go anywhere. He'd pressure him into the corners of the octagon. And I think Adesanya knew that. And I don't really, I don't know if I believe the whole, oh, I trapped him. and I baited him in. Like, I don't know about all that. But he, you know, he knew he was in that spot again. And Adesanya didn't throw punches to all those times that he was back into the corner. He would try to get out. And I think Herrera was waiting for that because he was opening up so much that he was, and he was waiting for, oh, he's going left, he's going right, he's going to try to, you know, run away from me. And I think he left himself so open that he never once thought, holy shit, like, what if he, you know, counters? And he countered, and god damn, man. Granted, I, I give Adesanya all the credit in the world. It, it's, 
I, I fell for him. I loved it. But at the same time, like, revenge is, is a dish best served cold. And, like, there were times where I was like, damn, he took it a little far there. Like, the way he was getting him back. But I get it. When you get all that weight off your shoulders, oh, you're 0-3 against him. Oh, you can't beat him. And then you finally beat him on the biggest stage ever. And you finally get to beat him. You know, I get it. Then you do the arrows. You know, you find his son and you you fall like his son did to you 10 years ago. I get it. I get it. But so, but either way, fantastic win for Adesanya. I, I don't even know. I don't even know what, what happens now with that division. Like, it's so, like, that's another division where you just so many question marks on who's next, what happens, is there a trilogy? And that's kind of where I'm going to, I'm going to ask you before, uh, you know, you give your point. Do you think, do you think that this deserves a trilogy now? Do you think that this should be a third one? Honestly, a hundred percent. Like I, I, I don't Ooh, see okay. another, I don't see another fight in this division that makes me more excited than a trilogy. I think Pereira's time at 185 is limited. So it's almost like you kind of have to capitalize on this, right? Like no one expected, even though obviously Izzy was favored, right? And and everyone kind of felt like you said that he was the better fighter of the two. No one, no one expected him to be able to put him out cold like that, right? Like we saw him hurt him. Dude, he um, was sleeping. Yeah, man. And and honestly, this is the the Izzy that I love watching fight. I think when he has a real sense of the danger that's coming back at him, it brings something out of him where now he understands that he can't allow these these guys to to float around because I feel like. Like, I remember talking, I don't know if I spoke to you about this, but I remember talking to so many people about this in the first fight, where after he hurt Pereira, the second fight starts and the crowd is pumped, they're going crazy, and then he tells them to calm down and sort of resets and took that second round as if it was a brand new fight, as if he didn't just have him hurt a minute ago. Like, I yeah. get a minute is a long time to recover, but at the same time, you still should have tried to see if there were some cobwebs still there after you heard him that bad. It, to me, it looked like the fight was over after the first. And then he allowed him to get back into it just by playing the outside game and not going after him. So I think he really learned his lesson in this one. And, and you love to see that as a fight fan. Like, it's so easy, from uh, like you said, to armchair quarterback and say, you got to do this to win. You got to do this to win. But to actually fucking do it, like, I can't think of a parallel where someone had all the chips on the table and had to have a gut check moment and come through like that big time. Like besides any, besides GSP against Sarah or even against Hughes, you could argue, like, I can't think of another scenario that's like this in MMA where someone really, this was it. This was his legacy. If he lost this fight again, even if it was a decision, he would always be nothing but, the, the second best middleweight of all time. And technically, he'll be the third because the, um, automatically Pereira will be above him just because he beat him twice, regardless of what else he accomplished in the sport. So the fact that he was able to rewrite his own legacy, right? Like just by getting this win, got the, got the title back, has eight title wins, right? Across his, I don't think he'll ever get a streak like Anderson Silva just because he doesn't have the time at this point. Um, but I think... Adesanya is that dude like I, I and I think it really did like he said in the in the interview afterwards it really did take him losing and going through all this to learn these lessons about 
what he needs to do in the cage. Imagine if this kind of Adesanya showed up against Cannoneer. Like, that's a different fight. That is not the same fight. And if anything, he's able to further cement his legacy more with performing like this. Obviously, I watching this one, to go into how I felt watching this, I honestly felt like Adesanya was down. Obviously, the, the scorecards came out. And actually, everyone scored the first for Adesanya, but I scored the first for, for Pereira. I thought he controlled it for the majority of it. And I was honestly surprised, thinking back on what Adesanya was saying. He's like, tomorrow's one and done. I'm like, after the first round, it didn't even feel like he he felt that way during the first round. Like, it didn't feel like he went he went for broke like he was saying he was. So after kind of being controlled a little bit on the feet, I was like, man, like, I don't, I don't know. This isn't looking good. And then Pereira started landing big, big time in the second round before he ended up getting that shot. I, like you said, I don't agree that that was all rope a dope. I think, I think a lot of that is just mentality. I think he was getting battered. He was getting hit, but he had the mentality of, I'm going to stand my ground and I'm going to throw regardless of if you knock me out the same way you did in the fifth, at least I'm going to give myself a chance in those exchanges instead of just trying to get away from you. Because when you are exchanging like that, you're also open to be hit. And man, when that right hand landed, listen, thank you for the invite. It would have been dope being there, but the way I screamed, I, I know my neighbors hate me. I never popped like that for a fight before. Like it, it brought me back to like the Ronda Rousey days of like, holy shit, what the fuck did I just watch? I was just going nuts. I screamed at the top of my lungs, went crazy, had a little uh, a little winning tour in my house, just literally running around, just losing my mind because I couldn't believe not only that he finished it like that, but just just the whole story, like all of it together, just theater at the highest level. And when your favorite fighter pulls through like that, man, uh, hard to hard to say any other feelings better than that. Yeah, yeah, definitely, because, you know, the hype was built around actually fighting. It wasn't built around anything other than that, and it wasn't actually, like, the legacy was on the line, your career was on the line, because if you talk, if we're here now talking Adesanya loses, knockout or decision, then it's like, all right, what the hell is next for Adesanya? Like, he can't get a title back. He, what is he going to fight? You know, is he going to go to light heavyweight? Is, is Pereira going to light heavyweight? What the hell happens now? Like, how could he be next if he's just lost twice? And You know, like, Adesanya light heavyweight is never going to work. So, like, this had to, this had to go. And, you know, you had that on the line. You had, you know, your whole legacy on the line. And you had your legacy with him on the line. So, it was like everything was on your back. Your shoulders were at your heaviest, and you pulled through. And I, I, I said, I felt the same way, where I thought Pereira might have done enough to win that first round because, you know, I just thought with, with both of them were doing a lot of leg kicks. I, I think, you know, whatever. But I just felt like Pereira was waiting. He was going slow. He was the first the first fight, he was trying to finish him in the first like round or two. Not finish him. He was trying he's putting a lot of pressure the first two rounds. And in the th third and fourth round, after the takedown, he got exhausted. And in the fourth round, he just let he didn't even do anything. He just kept his arms down, tried to avoid to build his energy back up for that fifth and final round. And then he got, you know, very fortunate with the knockout. But I think this time he was like, all right. If I just stay with him, if I just constantly put the pressure to keep Adesanya on the outside, the second he finally gets to the cage, I could swing. And I think there, I remember I was watching that fight the whole time. I'm like, he's got him. He's got him. He's against the cage. This is exactly what Pereira wants. Because that's all Pereira was trying to do the first two fights was just get him on the outside of the cage to the point where now, okay, I got you. You're cornered. You're not going anywhere. I'm going to use the cage to my advantage. 
you know, and then starts swinging. And I think he had him. He was like, oh, I got you finally. And I think he connected once that was clean. And then he felt, I could finish you right now. Let's do it. And I think in that moment when you just see red, oh, this is it. This is my moment. This is my closing, you know, argument. Then all of a sudden, you don't think he's going to counter. And he counted right up the middle. And that's how open you were. And look how quickly it cost you. It, it, it was one, how, you know, it was almost the exact same reaction. The way he hit him, he slumped over. But then that second one that hit, like, right behind the ear and then right to sleep, it was like, holy. It was just so perfect for Adesanya. You could not have been perfect. More, you know, more perfect for him. So hats off to him. I don't know if I want to see a trilogy because I, I get it. You give a trilogy to Adesanya because of his, you know, his legacy. His legacy gets him that trilogy. While, you know, Pereira kind of sh- short-ranked. They got, went through everyone. Strickland, I don't know what the hell that was in that fight. Dude just walked up to his fist. I, I don't know what the heck that was. He stayed in the center line, kept his arms down the whole time. Not sure. But, you know, that's the thing with Pereira. He clearly doesn't want to cut that weight. I think he would be just as tough in 205. But I can see it. If you if you want to, you know, try to be middleweight champion again and then go, I thought this was definitely his last fight at middleweight. But if you do a trilogy, I think that one will definitely be his final fight at 185. So I think the UFC has to ask themselves, do we want to do that, you know, third fight again? Because what happens if Pereira wins? Then he vacates the belt and then goes to 205 because he's not staying at 185. Like, this, he's either he's done now or he's doing one more. But he, he's, he doesn't want to do this anymore. And I think he really wants to get revenge on Jamal Hill and for and Glover Teixeira. So I think that's his his major goal. And so whatever happens, happens. But a huge win for Adesanya. I'm so ecstatic for him and everything that happened. But, you know, that's the thing. He might do a trilogy because who the heck is next? He's wiped everyone. There's, there's nothing. Everyone in the top five, he's beaten mostly twice. So it's like, what do you? what's next? That's what you got to ask yourself. I agree, man. I think it ultimately comes down to what Pereira's able to do. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure. I think Dana already made the case that he's not going back to middleweight. Um, if he was, I think that's, that's an easy fight to make. Uh, but I guess I, I, I wouldn't, I personally thought that Robert Whitaker and I stand on this. I stand on this. I thought Robert Whitaker won the second fight against Adesanya. Call me crazy. Call me crazy. But I thought he did enough to win that. So I don't mind seeing him in a third fight with Adesanya. A lot of people were just poo-pooing it as soon as he called him out after the fight and just saying that, why would we want to see a fight that you already lost? But look what just happened with Adesanya and Pereira, right? Like, I think ultimately when you're the best, you deserve the shot. I think Robert Whitaker is someone that doesn't get the credit he deserves for being an all-time great in that weight class and being someone that really has solidified himself as a great middleweight. So I think that's going to be good fights no matter what for Izzy coming on the horizon. Um, I just feel like you kind of owe it to Pereira too, right? Like he he deserves something for being able to pull off that upset in the first one um, and then give him the second shot right away. Like you kind of you kind of have to reward that in my opinion. As a champion, he could have been like, Nah, fuck that. Why well, I'm gonna fight him again? I'm just knocked him out. Give me someone else. Um, so I don't know, man. I personally, I don't like the immediate rematch idea in general. I think in certain cases it works, and in this case, you just can't go wrong, right? Like the theater between these two guys, the way the fights play out, like this is just, in my opinion, one of the best sort of rivalries we've ever seen. No matter what combat sport, like this is up there 
with the great boxing rivalries, in my opinion, because it's spanned across two different combat sports and all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, man, no matter who he fights next, I think you can't go wrong with the middleweight division. Adesanya is going to keep cementing his legacy. Uh, excited to see if he could continue this sort of the hunter versus the hunted idea. And I think if he can continue to understand what really separates him from his opposition at middleweight, and that's his ability to find those moments and continue to pursue them. Um, I think in three fights, he could solidify himself as an all-time great, literally, if he continues fighting this way. Will he, though? I'm not sure. I mean, he hasn't he hasn't really fought like this since the Paulo Costa fight. So, I don't know. Either way, I'm I'm signing up, and I'm watching it. Even his boring fights, I find exciting, so. Yeah, I think you've got to go... You could definitely go with this trilogy again. It definitely shuts down the idea of everyone thinking that Camaro could come up to 185 if Izzy you know, lost because what, you know, what's next for Camaro and all that. But um, you could run it back with Izzy and prayer one third, you know, for the third and final time. And it could be, you know, the finale of all finales. You can hype it up to the craziest levels. And then, you know, winner gets like someone like Hamzad, who I think Hamzad just needs to fight at least once at 185 before you can give him a title shot. Uh, you know, he can't make way to 170. So I think he, he needs at least one significant fight within that rankings to be like, all right, he's next because he's, you know, if Izzy's already beaten everyone, you know, you can't just say, all right, Hamzat's next because, you know, he beat Gilbert Burns in a different weight class. Like, you, you, and, and then Kevin Holland in a catch weight. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. So I think Hamzat needs at least one significant fight at 185, and then he's next if he wins that. And then if Izzy beats, you know, if it's not Pereira, then whoever. And then beats him because I think, you know, what he was saying in the post fight, I think he knows what he wants next and, and not right now, but eventually. And I think that's going to be Duplessis if, if he if he continues to win because of all that, you know, I'm a real set, you know, I'm a real African because I was born and raised there and all that. So I think that's on the horizon. Mm-hmm. But I think that's around two Izzy fights away and two Driscuits fights away. So, you know, you, you could set that up with Pereira next. Hamzat after that, and then Driscus Duplessis if he can win, or, you know, continuously. So you have your, you know, you have Izzy's career set out for the next year and a half, but it depends on if that, that's what the UFC wants to do. Agreed, man. I'm interested to see, too, how fast he's willing to come back, too, because that's been the story of his career, man. He's one of the most active champions the UFC has seen yes, ever, sir. ever, not just in modern times, right? Like it's crazy. The amount of times he was able to defend his belt during that period. Um, so yeah, man, l- love me some Izzy Adesanya, my favorite fighter for many, many reasons, uh, a little cringe sometimes, but you take the good so with the bad, cringe. man. And that, that celebration was fucking awesome. I don't care that, that three arrows, he, he, you can yeah, tell just nice. how much it meant to get that back for sure. It was um, just the dog collar. I'm about to be unleashed thing. I was like, come on, man. I mean, he's been on that time come since his on. debut, right? Like, I, <laughs> I'm i the new dog in the yard, and I just pissed in the cage, all this shit. Yeah, so, yeah, like, it's cringe. On. It's cringe. But, I, yeah, but he, he backs it up. So that's all that matters. If, if mm-hmm. you could be as cringe as you want, but if you go in there and you beat them the way you beat them, yeah, you have some snoozers like you did with Yoel and you had with Cannoneer, but at the end of the day, he's holding the belt, you know, at the end of the night, so. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is. And to, you know, you cannot ever say that Adesanya is not, you know, argue number two greatest middleweight ever. 
So, and, and if you continue, if he builds himself a nice, you know, four or five title defenses now, you know, having the belt a second time, you could throw in a, a nice, interesting conversation with Anderson Silva. But I, I still think because Anderson Silva never lost, that that won't happen. But it was the way Anderson Silva left the UFC that definitely brings the conversation up. So we'll see. That's that's years down the line. For sure. I like that a lot. Oh, man, we went really long on this one. So thank you again for coming on the show. We we covered everything. No, 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 you're good. We covered everything we could on this 287 card. So really dope to do the recap. But we're going to look ahead to this fight card anyway, okay? But we're going to be doing a little bit of a quick hitters, right? So I've got six fights on the docket for us to sort of look forward to for next week, give our thoughts and give our picks um, for UFC fight night. Where's this one taking place? I have no clue. Um, <laughs> the revolving City. door. Nice. Kansas City. Yep. The, ho- the house that James Krause built. Uh, I'm sure they won't mention him on the broadcast, though. Uh, the but... T-Mobile Center, not the arena. Kansas ooh, City. ooh, I didn't know that. That's a that's a yeah, that's silly. I mean, they got two arenas, <laughs> right? You do what you got to do. That marketing is is key. Uh, but the yes. first fight I got on the docket here, Brandon Royval versus Mateos Nicolau. So I'm going to take turns sort of going first. I'm going to go first on this one. I'm excited for this fight. I think both of these guys have very different styles, like very, very different styles. Nicolau's much more composed, much more willing to sort of in the same vein as Bahamundes, right? Keep you at range, land his shots, and get you out of there, right? If he, if he can hurt you, great. But if not, he's going to stay on his jab and and do things the smart way, right? Not not overly exerting himself. Brandon Royval is a fucking wild man. That He is one of my favorite fighters because he's such a wild card. You don't know what he's going to do. He I, I argue he don't know what he's going to do. Um, he's just sort of feeling out the moments out there and finds himself in positions to land insane stuff i'm glad that he's coming off of a lot of in um sort of time off he's someone that has been plagued with injuries before in his career had issues with his shoulder mid-fight right so having some time to recoup those injuries and now coming into this one i think he should be fully healthy i love the way these two match up because of the difference in styles give me brandon royval i think at some point he's gonna find himself either snatching up a submission or hurting Mateos Nicolau with some random spinning shit um, at some point. And I think throughout Nicolau's career, career, excuse me, he's shown that he can keep control of the fight, but once it starts slipping away, everything starts falling apart a little bit. If we look back to that Mano Cape fight, look back even to the Dustin Ortiz fight, shout out Dustin Ortiz. That's a true vet in this flyweight game. Uh, but he was able to get him out there in the first because once you start putting it on him, he just his game starts to fall apart a little bit. It's hard for him to get back to the places he needs to be at to win. Uh, so give me Brandon Royval by some crazy shit. See, that's the thing too. Like I, at first, I, I wanted to say, you know what? I think Nikolai was on on his way, and he's starting to, uh, you know, I think he could take care of someone like Royval. And but you know, Royval is so sneaky sometimes. And, you know, I think either of these guys, whoever wins, you know, actually, I'll I'll ask you this. Whoever wins this one, do you think this puts them right into the conversation of a title fight next or one fight away from the, because, you know, four and five, you're right there and you have, you know, Davison leaving a division. So you're basically three and four. Mm -hmm. You know, this is, this is as close as you're going to get to being a title fight away. So what do you think? That's a great point. I think if it's Nicolau, yes. I think if it's Royval, they try to give him one more. 
And that's unfortunate. I just think it has more so to do with the injury history and sort of get him in, in yes. a groove. Um, but I, I agree. I think both of these guys are deserving at this point. And I'd love to see a Moreno Royval fight. Uh, that I, I think that sounds amazing. I don't. Uh, <laughs> I don't because Royval's sneaky, and I think he can he could do some crazy stuff that could unfortunately beat uh, the champ. And I, I don't want to see that. I need the Mexicans <laughs> to stay champion. So I, I do think that uh, he would still win. But you know. Roy Val is is definitely a very sneaky fighter, and I, you know, it's gonna this fight though between Nicolau and Roy Val is gonna be a very, 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 very good fight. I think people are not talking about yet. For sure, not not getting the appreciation it deserves. Just to make sure, did you give me a pick yet? I didn't catch it. If you did, oh, oh <laughs> I, I I did not. But you know what? I apologize for that. But you know what? I since you said Roy Val, I'm gonna go opposite and say Nicolau because Roy Val will win because I will bet <laughs> the I sadness bet hedge. Nicolau. <laughs> the sadness hedge comes again. I like it. Um, next up, I'm gonna I'm gonna lay the floor out for you for this one. Pedro M- Munoz coming off of a fight where you could argue he was winning against Sean O'Malley before that. Nah, I disagree <laughs> with you. you I could think argue. That was, you could argue. <laughs> listen, I think that's all bull. This whole little eye poke thing where he he's holding one eye and then the you know at the end of the presser he's holding the other eye by accident. <laughs> he's full of shit. I think he's full of shit. And I hope Chris Gutierrez, yeah, I think Pedro should win because, you know, Pedro has had a, a very storied career, and, and I've always loved what he had done. I was a huge fan of him, but that second where he claimed the eye poke and then called the fight, I th- I really did think he was going to – I thought he had the advantage on Sean O'Malley because Sean O'Malley's fighting his first-ranked guy. He You know, he was obviously one foot back. He didn't know what to do. He was obviously just feeling the waters. He had the pressure, and Pedro should have taken advantage of it, but – God damn, like that eye poking, and he just, oh, I can't continue. And then you're holding the wrong eye. Dude, I wanted to fight him <laughs> at the end of that. So I hope Chris Gutierrez wins. But I do think if I had to predict, I think Pedro takes it. I, I love your, your energy for this one. I did not expect <laughs> you to be so gung ho about this one. I love it. Um, I, <laughs> the more I thought about this one, um, the more I think that Chris Gutierrez is a man on a mission right now. I think his last win against Frankie Edgar was huge, right? And just honestly, I think that does more for his mental than anything. I think he's been someone that really has made a career off of his volume and putting guys just miserable. Like, I'm sure every guy he's fought on this run had to go to the hospital after this to get their legs checked out and everything because he just beats up on guys. And I think Pedro Munoz does a good job of getting that foot out the way, but at the same time, he is there to be hit. And I think Gutierrez is someone that mixes up his targets really well, is super smooth on the feet. I think Munoz could get him trouble in the in, in get him in trouble in the grappling, but at this stage of his career, he hasn't really shown a willingness to initiate those exchanges enough to put him in a position to win. I could see Munoz snatching up a guillotine randomly like he always does. That's another possibility as well. Uh, but I, give me Chris Gutierrez here, man. I think I think this is his time, and I think he's really coming to his own at Factory X. Yeah, you know what? Uh, like I said, I, I I want Chris Gutierrez to win. But I, I thought, you know, I was considering this fight because, you know, backs against the wall for Pedro here hasn't fought since that Sean O'Malley thing. Uh, I'm not even going to call it a fight, so I call it a thing. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I think the submission will be dangerous. But, like I said, I, you know, Chris Gutierrez is definitely on a mission here. So, you know, 
Chris Gutierrez, like you say, beats out Frank Gagger, and then you get another veteran gatekeeper. I, I don't mean to make that in a mean way, but I, I just don't see Pedro being a top five guy anymore. I just it, I just don't see that as a possibility for especially in a pan and weight division that's so deadly. Um, yeah, I, I Chris Gutierrez for me. Yeah, you're right. I like it. I I, I made him switch his pick. That, he did. That's how he you did. know I got the juice. On I just show, man. I I I I. <laughs> thought Pedro would be more dominant, and I said just because of that, I'm picking Gutierrez because I don't like Pedro Munoz right now, but you, you definitely swung me. I think it is Chris Gutierrez's time from seeing his last couple fights. I think when you start seeing that shift between a veteran and, and not even a prospect anymore, and these kids coming now, you can see the shift and towards retirement and whatever. I, I'm going with Chris, like you said. Let's do it. Next up, Jan Kutalaba. Going up against Tanner Bozer, this one's at 205. So this is Tanner Bozer's light heavyweight debut. I think this is the weight class he needed to be in his whole career. I think he's fighting someone that's an absolute spaz. I think early on, first round, this this fight's going to be nuts. Like, I don't mind betting the under in this fight at all, just because I think this is going to be that kind of crazy fight. Jan Kutalaba is someone that I think he has all the skills to be world champion, uh, but in between the eyes... <laughs> He's just crazy, man. He just goes full madman, and it costs him more than it does him good most of the time. Um, I would love to see someone that I really wanted to see fulfill his potential, uh, but he hasn't really gotten to that point yet. And I think Tanner Bozer is just so smooth on the feet. I think it's going to be a real coming out party for him at 205. So give me Tanner Bozer. This is tough because Kutalaba's nasty. But see, the thing is, Kutalaba can come off and be so dominant some fights, and then Others where he just like in his last one, you just thought like you just like sometimes you just don't know which one you're getting. And sometimes you, you know he plays he fights sloppy. Eh, it's tough, but I, I I've never I don't I don't know how you know Bozer's gonna be now at two oh five. That's an adjustment for me. Ooh, that's a tough one. You know what? Since you went Bozer, I'll go opposite of you because I don't want to keep picking the same ones as you. So give me Kutalaba for this one. I like it. It's going to be a tough fight no matter what. Oh, whoever, for sure. That first round is crazy. getting it through the fire. Yeah, getting it yes. through the fire for sure. Uh, next up, Dustin Jacoby versus Azamat Mirzakhanov. Loving the streak that Mirzakhanov is on right now. Obviously, he's the world beater. He's the knockout artist everyone's looking for, forward to seeing. Justin Jacoby. Dustin Jacoby. Sorry. Just switched the, the names there. Um, someone who's been a mainstay in the UFC for years now, right? Think about it. He's on the same trajectory as uh, Izzy and uh, Alex, right? He's also a glory uh, kickboxing fighter who made the transition over to MMA. Been solid, but not not a world beater at all. What's your pick for this one, man? I think this is Azamat's all day. I think the only thing that would scare me a little bit is Dustin's reach. But I mm -hmm. think Azamat's just on, you know, I, I, I don't want to sound like this little Fairweather fan that just, you know, whatever, 12-0, that's great. I feel like Dustin's kind of been, I don't want to say a journeyman, but he just hasn't had that level of success that I thought he would when he, you know, first came. So I think Azamat's on a mission. He's on, you know, winning his last fight. Mm -hmm. I think if he, he is the much shorter guy in this fight, so that'll definitely be a tell right away. But I do feel that he will get the job done. You know, 6'3", 5'10", that's a huge difference in a fight. And the reach is definitely a significant difference as well. So... That'll be something to see. That it's a great test for Ozamat, but I think, you know, being five ten and light heavyweight, that's that's a that's, you don't see that a lot. 
So that'll be something to see. That's like something you see in UFC, like created fighter. It just doesn't make much sense when you create the fight. But I do. I I, I have a good feeling about Azamon. I think he gets the job done. I like it. I like it. For me, if this fight was two years ago, I'd be on the same page as you. But I think Dustin Jacoby really showed a lot of improvements in his last fight against Khalil Roundtree. I think he really showed against someone that's coming after him, right? Because that's that's been his issue. I think if he could control the fight, he's fine. But once he has people coming after him, he kind of crumbled early on in his UFC career. But in his last fight, he stood up to that challenge head first, right? And, and took that fire on and fought it with fire the same way Izzy did. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be with that kind of fight. I think he does get hurt in the first, bat rallies back and finds a way to win a decision. So give me Dustin Jacoby. I like that. It's going to be, it's going to be an interesting one. I'm writing it in next up co-main event. Scary hours for sure. Edson Barboza versus Billy Quarantello. Billy Q doing the damn thing for New York. But man, this is a, this is a big step up in competition here. Um, I, you went first in the last one, so I'll go first in this one, man. I think I think you got to put your money on Edson Barboza in this one. I think Billy Q has shown himself to be Me really too. vulnerable, especially in that first round. I think it takes him a little bit of getting hit to wake up almost, and I think <laughs> when you get hit by Edson, it's fucking different, man. And this guy has to be hungry. He's been on a rough slide, oh. fighting a lot of unfavorable style matchups too. I think this is the most favorable style matchup he's got Look back to the Paul Felder fight. Paul Felder is a much better striker than Billy Q is. Billy Q makes his bread, though, on the feet. Um, I, I just don't see him being able to pull off that kind of comeback against Edson. Give me Edson Barboza by knockout. Yeah, you know what? I think Edson's just so dynamic that he could do so many things other than striking. And uh, I like Billy Q a lot. I do. But I just... Uh, I think Edson, definitely on a slide, I just feel that He's not ready to walk away and think like, oh, my career's on the way out. I think, you know, this is the beginning for him to transition into, okay, I can build myself this winning streak again, and then I can make my way back in the featherweight division. So just think Edson's just so dynamic. Billy Q is definitely a stand-up fighter. I think Edson, too. I, I don't know. Yeah, you know what? Third-round knockout. For Edson Barbosa. Ooh, like in the third round. I like that. I like that a lot. That's that's you really putting the balls out there. I just have to say before we move on, if you're interested in betting on Billy Q, I don't blame you. Just wait until after the first round and do it, do it, do a little live bet. I think those are the best odds you're gonna get on Billy Q, no matter who he's fighting. After that first round, he's always down on the cards. So it's always good to throw a little live sprinkle after round one on Billy Q. Next up, main yeah, event especially, time. It's, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, so, sorry, sorry to take it from you, but especially if I'm saying Edson Barbosa, go with Billy Q because every <laughs> time I say anything, it always goes opposite for me. As you know, I'm like, I got the worst luck, man. I'm no Shadamas for the wrong reason. So, you know what? <laughs> you, I might go with Billy Q to get Edson Barbosa to get the win, but still, it's gonna be a great fight. I like that. I like that. Like Conor McGregor said back in the day, he predicts these things. I, I predict these things in the wrong way. <laughs> I predict these things to go the way I don't want them to, so that I end up losing everything. So yes, I I was gonna. I'm I'm the opposite of Mystic Mac for sure. 
<laughs> Next up, we got a banger of a main event, man. One of my favorite fighters, Max Holloway, coming up against Arnold Allen. A real crossroad moment for both of these guys, right? Arnold Allen coming up, Max Holloway not really sure if he's going to find himself in a position to get a title shot again. A lot of hype on Arnold Allen right now. There's a lot of ways this fight could play out, man. How, how do you rack this uh, matchup in your mind? West. That's what I think. I'd go with Max Holloway on this one. I think it's just a tad too early for Arnold. I don't know why I feel that way. I guess he's number four. I get it. He's deserved it. Um, but Max is still on a whole nother level. Max will bring you to the depths of hell, to the place where he loves to go. He will bring you to all the way to the darkness of just getting beaten down. Look at that Calvin Cater fight. I never forget that fight. You know, that fight between him and Calvin Cater was, you know, it could and same thing with Yair Rodriguez. Like, dog fights brought everything out of each other in that one. Max has got a great chin. You know, the only time you ever go against Max is obviously when it comes to Volkanovski. And even that second fight, see, you like you said earlier with, with Whitaker and Adesanya, I felt Max beat, uh, beat Volkanovski in the second fight. I really did believe that. And uh, obviously he got washed in the third one, but I just feel Max is still, if he's hungry enough to go back and win that title, this is where it starts because if Max wins this and Volkanovski, you know, Volkanovski's still unsure of what he wants to do. You know, he's going to fight Yair, but after that, does he want to go and fight Islam for that rematch? Because that was a great, fantastic fight. Does he want to stick around? Because if, if Volkanovski finds his way going into the lightweight, then all of a sudden Max is right there for, you know, trying to get his featherweight title back and, and can be a two-time champ. So, you know, I think Max is kind of waiting it out. He's a gatekeeper. He's literally stuck. You know, there's a, guy, a bunch of guys like that. So he reminds me of Dustin Poirier where Dustin's stuck. You know, he can't go anywhere. But anyone who he's going to fight, I, I think he's the favorite. And he usually ends up becoming the favorite. But when it comes to that title fight, I don't bet on him because it's just he's just not at that level of the champion. So I think Arnold's a little too early. If he had one more fight, I probably would have went with him. But. I still think Arnold is definitely going to be a champion one day. You know, he can be, but I right now I think this is Max's fight, and I, I'm going with Max. Man, you got me nervous, man. I got the main event scaries for this one because Max Holloway is really one of my favorite fighters. I'll say it again and again. I am biased, especially in this one, um, so I'm just going to make that clear right off the top. I think he doesn't get enough credit for the all-time great fighter that he is because of the fact that he's in the same division with one of the best fighters we've ever seen in Volkanovski. Um, I'm such a big fan of Max, man. I can't say that enough. I think he first ballot Hall of Famer when it's all over. I think he's that kind of fighter. I'm so excited for this one. For a while, this was a sadness hedge spot for me. I'm really nervous about this fight. I'm kind of scared to pick Holloway. I just think the more I think about this fight, I think Yair really took a piece out of Max Holloway in his last fight. I think that was a, a war to be remembered. And I think Yair really leveled up off that fight, and we haven't gotten to see that same reaction from Holloway. If anything, he looked really stale against Volkanovski in the third fight. And you could argue that's just Volkanovski being great, but we haven't seen him bounce back from that performance, and he looked rather slow and sluggish in, after coming back from that war with Yair. So I'm really concerned about his durability. I'm really concerned about how he bounces back. But a motivated Max Holloway... The best is blessed, baby. I'm picking Max Holloway here, but I'm scared. I'm going to make that clear. See, the thing is with that is that, you know, Max beat Yair. 
But because Max had no, there's no reason to have him in that Josh Emmett Yair fight. So you put Yair in that spot, and then Josh Emmett was, you know, I was great. Josh Emmett was on a great run, and, and obviously Yair was just on a different level that night. But when, when you think about the Volkanovski and Holloway third fight, I think Volkanovski was just completely on another level. He was so much faster, and I think he just wanted to prove to everyone, like, listen, I'm better than him right now. I'm better than him. And I think he was. And I think the first fight, I love that first fight. He just absolutely beat him down with the legs. That was a great fight. Second fight was super close and argue however you want. But the third fight, he, that fight was made to be a statement. Like, enough with Holloway. I love this guy, but I'm done with this guy. Like, I don't want to fight him again. I don't want to ever have this conversation of, oh, he could have beat me in the second one. And I think he had he put everything in featherweight on the line for that. But Max then beats Yair. So, you know, it's like Yair, I mean, Max has this situation where he just is stuck. That's why he hasn't done much because he hasn't, who's he going to fight? And I think, I still think Max is, is like Colby Covington, like Dustin Poirier, where there's just someone better than him. But if that person exists, that person's a champion. And Max, it, for differences, was a champion. He was a decorated champion at a very young age and then ran into Volkanovsky, who, has taken the division run with it. And then Arnold Allen is, is on the come up. Obviously, an incredible fight against Dan Hooker, who was making his featherweight debut. I get that, but whatever. But the Calvin Cater knockout was disgusting, incredible. So that was nice. And I think that's what makes this jump up, jump up because both these guys have had their way with Calvin Cater. But it's going to be a great fight. I just still believe Max is on a, that, a little bit of a higher level, but Arnold Allen is right there. He's going to be right there real soon. I'm so pumped for this one, man. Sean, thank you so much, bro. We could we could go for hours. We've gone yes, for sir. hours. This was awesome, man. It's great having you on. I'd love to have you on again real soon. Please let the people know where they could find you. Reiterate that. Give them all your socials so they could keep getting your awesome content. Yes, of course. You can. Uh, I appreciate it again, man. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, you can find me at Sean Negro on 26 on Twitter. And then if you look at my page, I have my own website. Uh, at BS reports or at dot, well, bsreports.org. You go there, and if you ever want to write, if you ever want to put out content, you let me know, and I'll help you. And then I have my own podcast, at National Fan Loop, and then at That's Baseball Zero for baseball, football, and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm constantly putting stuff out. I'm constantly doing, constantly on the mic. I'm, I'm doing everything I can to be involved in every sport. And uh, as you know, we've had the conversation. I, I, I'm trying to get into my own MMA thing, so you know, it's, uh, thank you so much again for having me on. I appreciate it and, uh, look forward to, uh, many more, many more conversations. Heck yeah, man. The work speaks for itself. The man knows what he's talking about. And especially when it comes to baseball, man, I I've learned so much from watching his shows across the years. So definitely make sure you tune into his stuff. A lot more baseball coverage to be coming from him. Trust like it, it's insane. The wealth of knowledge this man has. So definitely check that out. You could catch me at Negron MMA on Twitter, as well as Chris Negron underscore. I finally fit the, hit the 500 barrier, baby. I hit five. I think I got like 507 go. over the weekend. So shout out to you guys. Thank you so much for making that possible. It's only up from here. Really excited to keep giving you some awesome coverage and being more active on Twitter. I feel like I do such a bad job of social media. So trying to get yeah, better too. at it, trying to get better at it for sure. So definitely tune in for that. Got some MMA stuff this this week. I'm looking forward to dropping the MMA archive too. So make sure you're following to get all your MMA content as well as other sports news. Always 
follow the brand at OTS Media Co. on all platforms is OTS Media on YouTube. We have so many different shows covering so many different topics. And I promise you, all your lifestyle needs, all your sports needs, we got it here at OTS. So make sure you follow the brand. And with all that being said, thank you so much for tuning into another episode of The Sideline, guys. Make sure you give us a like. Make sure you subscribe. Hit that notification bell so you can continue to be alerted when we drop some dope content just like this. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I'm looking forward to having you guys on next time. See you then.